Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. This is episode 66, Retro Food Part 2. We'll be taking you back to the retro food as we did back in episode 33. So I am your host, Todd McCartney, and sitting in with me as always tonight, coming in from Tampa, is Mr. Hal Bowers. I'm going out of order, Hal. Aloha. Well, I'm, you surprised me. <laughs> I did. Wanted Better to work. catch you off guard. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. You know, keep me sure. That's right. Love the tiki's behind you. All the mugs look Thank good. Thank you. Thank you. And coming into us from Ohio, Mr. JT Couser. How are you doing tonight, JT? I'm just uh, happy to have a working microphone. Yeah. To be back. And if there's any uh, problems with my audio, apologies. But uh, I like snacking at Disney World, so this is fun for me. There we go. And Mr. Brian P. Miles coming in from Philadelphia. How are you doing tonight, Brian? You had a nice snack I saw beforehand to get ready for this show. Uh, greetings and salutations. I did. I had a, a, a knockoff Cinnabon cinnamon roll from our local farm, the bake shop they have there at the local farm. So that was my dessert after a not-so-good dinner, some reheated stuff that I ended up tossing in the trash can. So I'll <laughs> soldier through, though, because we're going to talk about food for the next hour and a half. Oh, there's plenty of it, plenty of it. So some updates from us here. Uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us for our first ever Platinum Movie Night a, f- a few days ago. Um, that was a great success. And again, a big thank you to all of our donors and everybody who uh, who listened in and watch- watched in, actually, I should say. Um, so we'll probably have some others in the future. And we're also looking forward to our next movie night coming up sometime in May uh, called Attack of the 50-Foot Reels. So we'll be doing a lot of different three-minute films all stitched together. Because uh, we get a lot of those short ones quite often, so we're looking forward to that. Um, and I know last month, we gentlemen, we talked about uh, uh, Pleasure Island. We had part one, and how needed a little more time to get through some of the research. And uh, so we're giving him some breathing room so he didn't have to rush to the to the to this episode. So thanks to Brian, he's done a terrific job of researching some of this food. We've got the old Birnbaum books out, and uh, we're ready to go on that. So uh, we will bring uh, that part two of uh, Pleasure Island to you, uh, hopefully in the near future, once how is completed, and we'll go from there. But for tonight and uh, this month, it is definitely on to retro food. But before we get started, as always, we always have a heavy mailbag coming in, and JT's prepped us as usual. So uh, JT, what do we have this month coming in? Okay, so first off, uh, Troy reached out, and this is more of a photo request request here. Uh, Troy says, do you have anything from Fort Wilderness showing the beginning of the reception outpost? He's looking for um, basically the, not the RV lanes, but uh, which is now inside the reception outpost. He says he knows the resort started with a temporary trailer from 71 to 73, and the lanes uh, on the outposts were built and started in 73, but... Um, he's looking for like those early Fort Wilderness photos. So if 
that's more of a, a call to action if anybody has any of that that pictures and I kind of connect that to the hotel lobby discussion we've had in the past where it's been like you know most people don't take a picture of the lobby when they're checking in so you, that that's going to be a tough one Troy but you never know we might we might find it there next one is from Ed Ed uh, is a local kind of to me here. He says, hi guys, just love your podcast. I'm one of those who can't start in the middle, so I started early March and I'm up to episode 46. Uh, only 26 more to go to be caught up and started playing the audio rewind for real. Well, don't want to give you the bad news yet, but uh, you'll, you'll eventually <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> He'll find out. He'll find out. Yeah, he's hoping to be caught up in April. These binge just... listeners, do we have like a little award we can give them for like see, see who can listen to all in the short yeah, period it's, of time? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a guy with his hands in the air going, where you been? <laughs> <laughs> he just discovered podcasts. It's all right. Um, he says, with you guys now is uh, the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society has inspired me to look through my mom's old stuff from a park in Ohio called Euclid Beach um, and donate what I have as well as looking through stuff from early Magic Kingdom trips back in the early 70s. So um, he's kind of on the hunt to see if he has anything for us. He says, keep up the good work and he'll stop by the phone in the chapeau to see if they've fixed the receiver. Excellent. Yes, it did. Is that still there? Well, it's a, it's closed for refurbishment now. So the big question <laughs> is whether or not it will survive the uh, the refurbishment. Whether that phone survives. Yeah, yeah. So the only thing that could happen uh, that would be a big win for him is uh, if there was audio rewinds played on that phone. Yes. Still, so. <laughs> um, so Ed, thanks for sticking with us. Uh, I know we're not a current event podcast, but you know there. You, hopefully, you get caught up with our current events here pretty soon. So appreciate your uh, back catalog listening. All right, uh, next one here is from Joe. Joe says, hey all, this is Joe here, and you were gracious to include me in episode 7, uh, the souvenir episode, if you guys remember all the way back then. That was what, like 2002 oh gosh, or something, yeah, right? <laughs> um, he was listening to a recent episode, and uh, he says, he we mentioned the people mover in Houston at the airport. He wasn't sure if he'd ever watched any of the videos by the Technology Connections. He did an episode on this, the story of Disney's People Mover in Texas. You may want to check it out. Um, so, I don't know. You guys ever see that? I, I rode the People Mover in Texas uh, a couple couple years ago. Okay. It wasn't, right. it wasn't as fun that. as in the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Well, uh, thank you, Joe, for that. We'll uh, check that link out and uh, share it out uh, here in Listener Mail if anybody else wants to check that out. Pretty cool, though, that uh, that unique Disney history connection there. Next up is Jimmy. Jimmy says he's not a, big on commenting on YouTube, but he wanted to send us a big thank you for posting the old Disney World Easter parades. They made his day. His family are thousands of miles away, and the pandemic introduced a number of challenges this past year. And uh, he says he's still a WDWAP annual pass holder, and he absolutely loves the days from when he was younger, uh, like seeing Roger Rabbit, which is his favorite character. He says, please, please keep posting vintage specials. He even enjoys the commercials. I don't know about you guys, but I see almost as many comments in uh, love about the commercials as we do as the actual event we're, we're sharing. Well, we all come from a generation when you actually had to watch commercials. And I occasionally think about all of those commercials that I have retained in my brain for some reason for 20 or 30 years, jingles, uh, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. And 
I don't know anything that is being broadcast today. And I wonder if kids 20 years from now will have anything like that to draw upon. If if the YouTube ads ever get saved somewhere, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. And in, in the, the commercials are something where it connects to something you, you want. It's the marketing in it, I think, that, you know, it, it hooked you as a kid or as a young adult. And then you see it again. You're like, it's almost like refreshes that. Yeah. Well, that you're memory. a kid again. You're sitting you're sitting there while your mom's watching soap operas playing matchbox cars on the floor when the Calgon commercial comes on. And you're like, wow, you know, that, that's where it transports you back to. And uh, I don't For think sure. anybody has that shared experience now because there's no, like, we're going to sit and watch network TV and watch all the commercials. And Well, even the Super Bowl, I feel like the commercial end of that isn't as big as it was even 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. They're there, no. and you hear about them, but and that, it's not. And now they've, like, run the commercials in, like, the Today Show the week before. And, it's that, like, it's it's nutty. Yeah, it's it's a whole different game out there for that. So it's we'll, we'll see where that leads us. Okay, a uh, couple more here. This is uh, James, and I know you guys are going to definitely know the answer to this one. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Apologies if this already has been answered. He lives just down the road from Disney Springs, and uh, he takes Hotel Plaza Boulevard to get to and from work every day. He noticed the former Best Western has closed permanently as all the signage has been removed. It appears they could be in the middle of a stalled renovation. Uh, he's read unconfirmed reports it will reopen as the Drury Inn. Uh, do we have any knowledge of what's going on there, since that is a, an episode we uh, did with Hotel Plaza Boulevard? We do. Uh, it was not unconfirmed. It was confirmed. It was announced as the Drury Inn. Drury has it uh, listed on their website as opening in 2021. Oops. But he, as he correctly noted, all uh, they they did a fair amount of construction on the property because they're adding another tower and renovating the whole thing. Uh, it's the property directly next to the Amateur Athletic Union, which was the preview center, the original Disney preview center. Uh, but construction stopped in like October. Uh, it just stopped. Now, that's not surprising because that is one of the sectors. If you remember after 9-11, Disney stopped doing the legendary years wing of the of pop century and then just let it sit there as a shell for 10 years before they decided to you know pick up construction again and retheme it as uh pop century but maybe it wasn't quite 10 years i don't remember how long but it was a long time that it just sat there uh, like half done uh i don't think this project will be that long but i think as the pandemic stretched longer and impacted tourism longer that they just made a business the Drury's Drury's not nearly I mean it's not Hilton or or Marriott or anything on that scale it's a it's a fairly decent sized chain but it's not giant that they can just be like oh we're just gonna go build the most expensive hotel we've ever built and hope people are still able to come so uh, I did actually message the general manager of that property when we got this email I did not hear back from him because he probably doesn't want to tell me things that he's not willing to tell the trade newspapers or something like that. But uh, I wouldn't read too much into the fact that they've stopped construction for now. I think once Disney's back at, at capacity, you, you should expect to see that construction pick up again. All right. Thanks for that update. We love a hotel Plaza Boulevard. It's always a fun little, I don't want to say forgotten part of Disney world, but it kind of is to me and the history's still there though. And so are the locations. So, Okay, um, this one's a 
a little different one. I don't know if I've ever done this from the listener bag. Um, I feel like I'm playing the dating game here, sort of. This is uh, not me personally. Uh, this is Dane here. He wrote in, and uh, just the other day, he's looking for two pieces of ephemera, and he has some ephemera to trade. So if you have these two, let us know, and we'll connect you to Dane. Dane's looking for the 1972 New York Times magazine that has the contemporary on the cover. He's also looking for an A-frame blue room service menu from the contemporary from the 70s. Uh, if you or anyone you know has any of this information, please call the Unsolved Mysteries hotline and we'll uh, we'll connect you. Uh, we're we're going to be the swap shop. Uh, Richard Christie's right. going to start prank calling us. <laughs> Thank you for your call. That's... I, what's funny is Dane has also sent us photos of some various ephemera that is very cool. He's willing to trade you, so uh, that is a swap we're, shop. We're actually going to for... be using some of it in tonight's episode. Should, <laughs> we, should we start doing like Antiques Roadshow too? Like we'll give a value on everything that's, that comes. That's a separate ours? night. Like no, oh, it's a movie separate night, night okay. and then there's like, there's going to be like the Disney Roadshow. We'll have an appraisal night. You know, yeah. it's like, well, I've seen that go appraisal. for this, and yeah. Um, so Dane, thank you. And I'm sure uh, some of this guy's uh, message will be in your notes here, Brian. I'm not sure. Wesley Hansen wrote us. And uh, he, he first, my end of it is I wanted to say uh, on here that he, he said, thanks for uh, the great Platinum movie night. He was super excited about it. Uh, it didn't disappoint. And uh, he had some questions about uh, the Mile Long Bar, some places about at Disney Village, some 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 food questions in that. So Wes wrote us a nice email here, and he's also the old prize pot winner from, from years ago. So that. um, that's all I have for tonight So or this month. So write us, podcast at retrowdw.com. If uh, you have a message, a question, a uh, memory to share, there's a good chance it could end up on the show. We'll sift through it, see if uh, you make make the cut, and uh, hopefully you'll you'll end up on a future episode. All right, we've got a lot of other viewer or listener mail coming in here a little bit later on in the restaurants that we had people write in, so it's not the end of the mailbag for tonight. So Brian's, Brian's got a portion of that mailbag. So um, before we get to our main topic, actually, uh, we do have a, have a prize to give away. Last last month, we had just a random item come up, and we're like, oh, we've got one of those. Let's give it away. And that was the Norman Rockwell or pseudo Norman Rockwell of Mickey or Walt painting Mickey or Mickey painting Walt. I forget, looking at each other in the mirror like the Norman Rockwell one. Um, so we had a number of people write in and I'm happy to announce we do have a winner. So picked randomly for all the entries is Tracy Malkowski. So congratulations, Tracy. It's rolled up in its original tube and we will get that out to you shortly. So thank you very much. All right. So as we said at the top of the episode, this episode is retro food part two. So if you are interested in food and you're already salivating, you may want to go and listen to episode 33. Uh, and then we also did a kind of a follow-up episode, number 58, Retro Menus, um, which we went over a lot of different really cool menus that we've seen over the past uh, number of years. But tonight we're kind of, I wouldn't say finish out the restaurants, but certainly uh, carve into another segment of the restaurants. Yeah, Brian nodded on that nice one. He saw nice that. reference. Yeah. You thank go. you. Thank you. Uh, Are you referring like a carving station? Yeah, it's always good to have a carving station. I like that. <laughs> Got it. Fresh piece of meat, you know? Love it. That Is that a heat terrible. lamp that it's under? <laughs> What's that? Is that a heat lamp? It's heat if, lamp. The, if the bulb is red, then you know it's a heat lamp. That's right. That's, a... That's right. Remember those at the... Did you ever, when you were little, you went to the doctors, they had the heat lamps, they turned it on to keep you warm? Because you were, they'd have, you know, I actually take your shirt off or whatever, and they'd, they'd, they'd I, have heat lamps over the... over the. I don't remember idea. that. Yeah, yeah, I had that. So, 
I don't know. Maybe they're just. Maybe it was a carving stage. Did your mom take you to a vet? I could see a vet doing that. Like, I didn't have much meat. I still don't have much meat on my bones. I was. (laughs) was Nothing to carve off. I just thought maybe that gold key card worked everywhere. Oh, you get the gold key doctor visit too. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Flip the light on for this guy. That's the. Set it to roast and then carve him. (laughs) Oh my goodness! So, but I'm going to turn it over to Brian. As I mentioned earlier, he has done a lot of. different digging and, and researching here um he's been through our, our menus and compared to what we need to talk about compared to what we didn't talk about last time asked us for some input and all of us have different things i've got burn bombs sitting here we're gonna have some great discussions of crepes and restaurants that merged and egg rolls and all sorts of wonderful stuff so without further ado i will turn it over to our resident food expert mr brian miles uh we're going to start off by saying this episode is by popular demand. Yeah. Because uh, we do get, we actually had a guy uh, contact us in the last month saying, when are you going to do another food episode? They're my favorite. I listen to them over and over again. And uh, we get a lot of feedback on these episodes. People people engage us a lot. They like them. Uh, and it is a neat topic. It's, it's, uh, it's one that everybody has food memories. Uh, even if you're not a food, if you don't consider yourself a big food person, you don't think about it a lot or uh, on vacation, normally you experience food you don't get at home uh, or you remember a meal that uh, brings to mind the people you were with and, and being on a trip with your parents or your family and or your girlfriend or your wife on your honeymoon or your kids for the first time. And all I remember was the first time we had prime rib or it was the first time we had something on, on this trip. I certainly have those memories from my first trip to Disney. So that's one of the reasons why this topic uh, tends to be more interesting than you might think when, when you say oh, it's an episode about food. Uh, so we actually started this one uh, by uh, doing some social media posts and asking folks for you know, to tell them we were doing another episode about this and did they have memories uh, or or f- foods from the past things that things that they remember from the parks that that are missing now uh, or that they want to know about and we got like two pages of replies so I am actually going to let JT uh, read some of these off some of them are just comments others will be questions for the good of the order some of which I have answers and some which uh, the boys might want to jump in on so I will hand the mic over uh, to uh, the baritone from Ohio. So first off, I have a a message here from Jonathan, which uh, I love this one, Jonathan. And there's going to be a lot on this one, I think, uh, now and in the future. The sci-fi dine-in has always been a staple on our family trips since the early 90s. But unlike most things we've loved in Walt Disney World's past that are long gone, uh, like the neighboring writer's stop... The sci-fi dine-in seems almost entirely the same. Have there been any significant changes or updates to the restaurant movie or the restaurant itself since its 1991 opening? Paging Mr. Bowers. Yeah, so I'll jump on that because I I actually got to go there, uh, you know, opening year because I was an Orlando resident at that point. I'm so curious what you have to say here (laughs) because... So, um, the menu has changed, you know, the menu, of course, has changed over time. Um, the, the names on the menu started out, you know, with a lot of sort of like kitschy, uh, puns and references to things, and it was mostly, you know, burgers and fries and milkshakes and and the menu has gotten more refined over time. 
Um, the movie has remained more or less the same. I, I read some people that said that there were some minor cuts made from time to time, but it seems to me when I go and watch it, it's exactly the same as it was back then. Um, it has an it, early MGM feel, even the movie, like just it watching does. it. I feel like it's like uh, it was made in the 90s or something, the way the cuts were done or, or something. I don't know. Yes. Well, there's a and there's a couple of things that are it's funny you say MGM because there's a couple of things that are very MGM and, you know, Disney MGM. So, you know, if you think about the Disney MGM studios, they got the name. There are actually two MGM short cartoons cut into that. Um, one is a Tex Avery film called The Cat Who Who Hated People. Oh, one of my um, absolute favorite cartoons. Yeah, it's done. So it's well. great. Um, that one's actually been a little bit edited down from the yeah. from the regular version. Um, but it, yeah, go go guys, go search this out on YouTube. This is a Tex Avery at his best, I think, for his cartoons. And then there is a Tom and Jerry cartoon. I think it's called Spaced Out Mouse. It's it's from the late fifties. I don't think it's the best Tom and Jerry. It was it it was one of the Chuck Jones directed, I believe, uh MGM cartoons with Tom and Jerry. And you know, not, not my favorite. But you know, it works I, great it's, in the it's space. It's the one with space themed, yeah. So yeah, you're exactly. in the sci-fi dine and they want the space themed one. Yeah. So they found they found that one. Um and then there's a bunch of you know, of, of course, uh, you know, movie trailer type things, and then a couple of, of things that they actually kind of cut together with rock music and trailers on top of it. So, yeah, it's a good one. Um, one thing that has changed with um, with the movie parts, any, if any of you went to the sci-fi in the early years, um, there is a movie called, um, oh my gosh, The Amazing Colossal Man. And every time it got to a certain part in the in the movie on the screen there's a section where all right so back up i'll explain so the amazing colossal man is a u.s army person who was exposed to radiation or something and then he grows to an enormous size kind of like attack of the 50 foot woman except a big guy and he sits there i love it he goes i just can't stop growing <laughs> he's just all mad on like a gurney or something I, uh, and I, I think there's something about the growth process that also makes him like angry so he's <laughs> of course so he he's yeah so he doesn't him. have like he's not just like a giant guy who has complete control of his facilities he's also you know slightly mad or angry or something because of that so there's a scene where they i think the scientists finally cook up the anecdote to the formula and they have this giant syringe like this eight foot long syringe <laughs> two that guys they... are holding it and they like both walk up holding it over their head like a long like party sub <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they so they have to in in the movie what they have to do is like basically run and hit the the, the guy in the foot with the syringe and push it in and uh what would happen was the kind of like a rocky horror picture show type thing it's like the car hops in the audience the car hops that worked there would scream out things at the screen um while that scene was going on so uh i think when they pushed the syringe in and of course okay listeners you know i'm going it's been a couple of decades since <laughs> since i've eaten there so if you know what the actual lines are please write in and correct us i want to say that someone yells we're only trying to help. And then um, the guy picks up the syringe, looks at it, 
the giant guy. Somebody, another car hop will yell, watch out! And the guy will throw, on the screen, the guy throws the giant syringe and it pierces like one of the army guys like in half. Uh, and he dies horribly there. And when that happens, I, some of the female cast members like let out a blood curdling scream. And they did this, you know, every 45 minutes or 47 minutes on the loop. I think until 19, until 2007, when the practice was finally discontinued. So, um, so there used to be kind of like a, I won't say an audience participation aspect to it, but definitely a, uh, a car hop uh, participation part of it. And also the car hops used to, uh, when it opened, everyone was on roller skates. So they would skate up to you and take your order. Do you know when the skates disappeared? When the insurance guy came and looked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I suspect it's probably one of those things where, you know, the opening crew was probably all trained on it. And then as people left, you know, there just wasn't anybody that made a requirement. They weren't trained for it. So, you know, it kind of held on for a little bit with some people. Um, and there still might be, you know, the occasional person that does it. But it's it wasn't part of the requirements like it was when, when they opened up. Oh. I was going to say, and the one last thing is like, I don't know if they do this anymore, but they used to bring you a basket of popcorn out of the popcorn machine as like an appetizer they do not do that no. okay so that was nice so while you were waiting yeah, it's a movie get, theme you know right made perfect sense they had like a popcorn machine in the back you had a nice little basket of popcorn so that was that was fun and yeah. i did like i don't know if they do it anymore but for a while the um the kids um items were actually served in frisbees with the sci-fi dining logo on it that was pretty awesome yeah you see a lot cool. of them come up on ebay and you know sites like that but they don't do that the, anymore. The uh, I have a book here as early, as late as '96. They were still skating. It says so. Oh, okay, it's something. I don't know. Excellent. I would love to know. Hear hear some stories about that. I'm sure there's some good roller skating and falling with the food type things. But that's oh, you know, Sonic and all that stuff. Okay, we good on that one. Here we go. Next one. This is from Eric. Eric says he misses the old Goofy Bar and the 100 Years of Magic Bar. Two separate bars, I'm guessing. Chocolate ice cream with a layer of caramel finely covered in dark chocolate all on a stick. Divine! It, it sounds good. I don't remember it, though. Maybe like a Dilly Bar from Dairy Queen. Is that uh, the same thing? Um, well, with the caramel and the yeah, chocolate? Yeah, caramel, that has peanuts in it, the Dilly Bars, right? Don't they? I yeah, think the Dilly Bars have peanuts, right. but... Um, I, I, I think they might be the same thing. Maybe the Goofy Bar was repackaged as the 100 Years of Magic Bar for 2001. Uh, it's actually go Goofy the mold wore out, so it looked like a 100 <laughs> after. <laughs> but yeah, that sounds tasty, right? Like, I, I, yeah. I mean, okay, I'm going to make a controversial statement. Yeah. The Goofy Bar isn't that good. It's it's a theming thing, right? It's a no, it's a no, just like in your grocery store. You go, what is it? I, it's novelty. I will say I think they are better today than they were twenty years ago. I mean, I think it was okay. a cheaper uh, product like twenty twenty five years ago. But I think today the chocolate's a little thicker and the ice cream's a little bit better quality than than they were at one time. I don't know who made them originally. I think Good Humor supplies them now. Uh, but I mean, I don't think they're bad. It's, it's not, it's not 25 cent convenience store, you know, Eskimo pops. 
Right. Is, is it a must do for for everybody to do once? For a lot of people, it is. Like I, yeah. I mean, I've I had one like eight years ago, uh, but. <laughs> Well, look at the shirts on Etsy. People make shirts yeah. just about the Mickey. True, and the magnets. And yeah. The, yeah. I had an air freshener like a drum in my car that was. I mean, I remember having one in 1988. The first time I was there, like it was a it's thing like to get everybody. the, you know, to get the the Mickey bar. But, but Not you also couldn't ice. get them anywhere else because the the ones you got outside of the Magic Kingdom were those uh, the one where it was like uh, the Mouseketeer bar. It was chocolate and vanilla mixed. Uh, it wasn't dipped in chocolate. Maybe the ears were dipped in chocolate. Uh, but yes, yeah, it had like a weird face. Yeah. On it. it had like this weird musketeer face and, uh, there it is. It, you know, it looks actually like a ransom note. So <laughs> it's like if Mr. Bill. Yes. Had dog ears. So I, or yeah, I mean the Vicky bars of today, which are the, the dipped in chocolate, you know, fully dipped in chocolate and all that's, uh, that's a more recent invention. I think of the, 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 the premium ones they sell today and you couldn't get them in stores before. You could get that Mouseketeer bar at like ice cream trucks. Like if the ice cream man was coming around, they, they had them. But it was like a big deal to get the Mickey bars in Disney because you can get now you can get them in your grocer's freezer. I prefer the Mickey ice cream sandwich now. With the oh, I've not tried one on of those. It. And then it was a few years back. I was so excited to do this and I never did. It was the uh, they had that late night ticket where it was yes. like you know midnight to four in the morning and it was all the soda and ice cream bars you could eat <laughs> great for kids <laughs> yes <laughs> i would have loved it okay next up is erica um matsu noma lounge in the japan pavilion specifically the sushi bar in the lounge area to the right with the beautiful windows and the views of world showcase lagoon yeah so this is not something i recall getting to experience although i know it closed in 2007 to get rethemed and reused as more of a sit-down sushi place when they did away with the sushi bar and um i i know i ate in that space uh a few years five past five six years back now but i don't remember what it's called now like there there's like three restaurants up there on the second floor of japan and there's the one that they just opened what last year that's like the high-end one takumite or something like that and then there's tokyo dining which is the hibachi and i don't yeah, Teppanito. Teppanito is the is the hibachi, and then Tokyo Dining, I guess, is what maybe Tokyo Dining is in where the lounge was before. I think that's what took over where the lounge was. So, um, Eric is right. Good spot, uh, and sushi bars are always great, especially if they have a conveyor belt. All right, thanks, Erica, for that. Next up, we have Adam. He says, uh, "R.I.P. to the Starboard Deck Sandwich." Um, yes, he thinks, uh, he, he, his memory is, is ham with tomato, broccoli, slaw, and cheese. What, do you got something different there, Brian? No, no. It was funny. Cause when he, when, when he sent us this, he sent us a picture of the sandwich and, and house like, where was this? And so we looked, it was Columbia Harbor house and, uh, it was a ham and cheese with broccoli slaw, but the cheese is Munster cheese. Uh, it's not like American or Swiss. It, it's, it's clearly Munster cheese. You can see in the photo. Uh, which I guess is a like you know changing it up, but uh, and it was on some kind of like wheat st- like stoned wheat bread. Uh, but Adam was a big fan, and then when we looked, the, yeah, there was a lot of people that were really upset when they took it off the menu. I don't think I ate anything other than chicken or fish 
from the Columbia Harbor House. So that's people go nuts wonderful. for the tuna sandwich there. Uh, the, the tuna sandwich is very popular at uh, Columbia Harbor House, and I've had it. It's pretty good. Uh, there's another thing that they took off the menu from there in the last five years or so. Oh, I know what it is. The vegetable sandwich. There's a vegetarian sandwich there that's made out of like like a hummus spread or an avocado spread, and it's got other like s- sprouts and stuff in it, and people hmm. really, really like that like that sandwich there. I just wish they still had the Money Cristo there. <sighs> we'll talk about that later, Hal. They actually had a Monte Cristo at the Harbor House. They did. They had. Huh. They served it there and about a half dozen other locations over the years. It seems, yeah, it doesn't seem fitting there that it's harborish. Well, it's a big. They got giant fryers in the back. That's because like <laughs> like almost everything there was fried until <laughs> until they started with like the tuna sandwich and the veg. Like almost everything was fried there. So even the clam chowder was. fried. They had excess fried space, so they could just. That's how we eat all of our seafood up here in New England. Come on. Well, yeah. Well, that's that's the. I mean, that's what I, one of the things I remember about my trips to New England is, especially in the seaside towns. Yeah. Just going Fried. to those clam bars and. Yep. Oh. Okay. Next memory we have is from Joe, uh, Tangaroa Terrace with an exclamation point. Yes, Todd. <laughs> you you've actually ate that the Tangaroa Terrace, if I recall correctly, from our Polynesian episode. Correct. A number of times we ate there. I remember my grandmother having the the Tonga toast there, and uh, they did um, character meet and greet was there during character dining was there. Um, yeah, it was a great little location. It's really interesting how they really pushed everything back to the uh, to you know to the main lobby. Yeah, used to. I recall you used to like the pink Leilani. Is that right? My grandmother was. His grandmother ordered it. Oh, grandmother. And she would have those for for breakfast. Bring me pink Leilani. I don't think they were alcoholic. No, they were not. I'm I'm gonna follow up. We don't we don't have to edit this back in. We'll just do stream of consciousness here. Following up on our conversation about Columbia Harbor House in 1980, the offerings were the captain's combination, which was fried shrimp, fish, and scallops with French fries and applesauce. The Plymouth Shrimp Boat, which was fried shrimp. The Jamestown Fish Fry, which was the fish fry. And the Colony Fried Chicken. Hot cornbread muffins and clam ch- and corn chowder, rather. No clam chowder. And then a bunch of desserts and stuff. So I was not kidding when I said literally everything there was fried. Like the- I will tell you this. My distinct memories of eating at the Columbia Harbor House as a, as a child or a teenager, because my parents, they loved that place. So if we went, that's that's where we ate almost always you got a pile of french fries like as big as your head and then the chicken would be on top of that i I kid you not the pile of fries was probably like four or five inches tall and then you'd have three or four pieces of fried chicken on top of it and the fries were delicious but they just gave you i mean no one could finish the fries it was ridiculous sounds like a challenge to give you it was You can eat all the fries, then, you get the t-shirt and hat. Uh, what's the old 96er? Oh, that's our world-famous Paul Bunyan's Blue Ox Steak. It is a 96-ounce prime-aged beef steak. And if you or any member of your party orders the old 96er and finishes, everybody eats for free. Ah. <laughs> bad, huh? Listen, if I can get a dessert down, I think you could throw in a couple of Paul Bunyan hats for the kids. Sarah says uh, she loved when the Diamond Horseshoe had table service and a show. It was like a mini hoop-de-doo, and I experienced this. I re- remember this for sure. I, that was a, a favorite lunch spot of our, our whole family, and I'll never forget the spring break year where we showed up, and 
the the show was gone and it was like a quick serve walk up to the bar and get sandwiches my grandparents were so unhappy with this like boy this place is really going downhill uh, mid 90s that happened early I agree 90s. yeah yeah 90, 93 or 94 they closed it uh yeah that was, it was that's a you know it was like a sandwiches and a chips in a basket and then it turns into they're throwing a fun size lays at you you know in the pre-bagged yeah. thing so what I what I found out actually I think about two weeks ago, which was interesting, is um, so they didn't have the they don't have a kitchen facility there, so they would actually bring over the sandwiches from Tomorrowland Terrace. They would prepare them there and then actually, I guess, walk them over, or or maybe go through the utilidors and bring them over that way. So, uh, but yeah, I, if there was one thing they were to bring, I would ask for them to bring back for the 50th anniversary, it would be the Diamond Horseshoe Review, because that was a great piece of entertainment and a great place to get some Pepsi and some Frito-Lay chips or some, some uh, you know, some potato chips or some Fritos or whatever you want. See a great show. I remember being confused because we would always walk by uh, Hoop-de-Doo, you know, going to the, the shot, the boat, the launch and riding over and... I saw the hoopty do a couple times growing up, off and on, and I'd be like thinking, like, well, why do they have the same playing twice as a kid? You know, it seemed like the same type of show, but yeah, west western. But you know, it was a, I mean, that was a Disneyland tradition started in 1955. The the Golden Horseshoe there, we upped it to the Diamond Horseshoe when they moved it to Walt Disney World, just to rub it in their faces. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's is God. I I saw that show. I don't know dozens, maybe a dozen times. Was in it once. Picked to be on stage. Oh, look at you! Yeah, I was terrified. Terrified. The guy was like, "Okay, come over here and stand on the trap door." <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then the drummer would like hit a thing every so often, and I just <laughs> I'd freak out because I thought the trap door was going to fall. And it's uh, fun, fun for the kids. Okay, next one here is from KGilb03. Uh, loves and still loves the plaza on Main Street. It was reliably a walk-in, great food, and great atmosphere. I concur, although it's no longer reliably a walk-in. Now it's nope. go up to the to the stand and have them say, oh, I'm sorry, if you don't have a reservation, you can't come in. But uh, I've always place. loved the plaza club there, uh, the club sandwich that they sell there. They have decent burgers. Uh, I don't recommend. I don't recommend the Philly cheesesteak because you shouldn't order that in Florida. Uh, they don't have green peppers in them for some reason outside of Philadelphia. People put green peppers in them. Uh, but I love that place. And they have hand-spun milkshakes there because it abuts the Plaza ice cream shop. So instead of getting you know milkshakes out of a machine like they have at some places, there it's bottomless uh, uh, hand-spun milkshakes, uh, which I recommend highly. It's always fan. a favorite place. Yeah, always a favorite place for us to stop off. Like I said, the meatloaf was great. The club, we love that. We've had that a number of times. And it's not it's not big. It's the one of the, probably the smallest place it's, on it's on charming. Yeah. It's I, I don't have another word for it. It's, it's a refreshing. very charming place to eat. Okay. Um I wanted to add here, I did find in uh, my burn bombs how that uh, the diamond horseshoe served freshly baked pie. Oh, oh wow. Didn't Dang. know that. Well, no, I'm mad. My parents never sprang for that because I and this, this brought back, enjoyed that. This brought back a weird memory. Reservations are required, and they're hard to come by. Oh, uh, they must be made in person, and you can't count on getting them if you arrive much more than an hour after the park opens. And then there was a 
cancellation line as well. So I very I recall somebody standing in that line trying to get the spot, and then we got it, and then of course the sandwiches were pre-bagged and everything. So <laughs> that was a. Uh, I know I've talked about this before on the show, so I'll keep it brief. But yeah, you to to be able to get into the Diamond Horseshoe show, you would run to the Diamond Horseshoe <laughs> and go to the standout front and get a get a. Uh, Get, get a reservation with like a, a number of people at your table and a time on it. And then you would go off and do the stuff that you did in the park. But yeah, you, as soon as you got there, if you wanted to see that show, you booked it to Frontierland and, and got your reservation in place. Cause otherwise you were not seeing that show. Okay. Next up from mama Bodnar. She says, uh, Alfredo's in Epcot is one of her memories. We got a couple of uh, emails about that. And messages. People had fond memories of Alfredo's. And when we uh, did our Platinum Movie Night, we shared a slide of a Disney promotional uh, slide from Alfredo's, where for some reason, a table of people who are having a full dinner, the chef is standing next to them with this giant pile of Alfredo pasta. Like he's about to pile it on top of like the steaks and things that they're already eating. Uh, but it was the signature restaurant in the uh, Italy Pavilion. Famous for uh, invent, it was actually owned by the family Alfredo, who invented fettuccine Alfredo, which is just cheese and milk and butter, right? And that's the it's just pasta with lots of it. Mm -hmm. yeah, the it's, most delicious configuration. Pasta. It's very rich, and uh, and that went away. I'll just say now. Oh God, the years all run together. Ten years ago, maybe less, to become Tudo Italia. Ooh. Have to look that did it have the name Alfredo's forever? It did. It did, but there was some kind of a a falling out with the Alfredo family, like the agreement or something with them. Uh, I, I want to say Disney was not, if I recall the story correctly, Disney was not paying them enough per diner once the Disney dining program started for mm. them to be able to make a go of it. So uh, they decided we're not going to make a go of it anymore. And they left, and Tutto Italia came in. What's this uh, perspective Perspective paintings on the wall? Oh, yeah. Well, it was like trompe l'oeil paintings of, of uh, Italy as you sat inside. So it was as if you were looking out windows mm. to see, you know, the Italian landscape behind you. There was also, you know, sometimes strolling musicians, mm -hmm. opera singers, and the whatnot. Uh, so it says here... The 25-year contract with the company uh, ran through August 31st of 2007. And it uh, closed after dinner, after the final day of the contract. I know I told this story on a prior episode, but the one time I ate there, I got sick. And I haven't eaten fettuccine Alfredo since. <laughs> really? Like, never? No, no, I just don't. I don't eat it yeah, anymore. It's one of those things. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Yeah, I liked it. That was my, that was the first place I ever had fettuccine alfredo. I enjoyed it, and then I, I actually found it difficult to try to order fettuccine alfredo anywhere else after I had it there. It was so good. Yeah, I, I tried the Olive Garden. I'm like, yeah, it it ruined it for all the other alfredos. Yes, <laughs> curse you, Alfredo. The one thing I will say, it's like it's tough if you've been out in the sun all day. The last thing you want is a heavy bowl of pasta. <laughs> so. It is a, it's a night, it's a great True. place to go. I've been there and it's good, but, uh, but you want that as like, oh, we've been at the hotel relaxing. Let's go over, have some fettuccine. 
Yeah, I think we've determined that almost every restaurant at Epcot was like the antithesis of what you would want to eat. Yeah. Like after you've been walking around Epcot all day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we did that with the the precursor to the electric umbrella, that sunshine, whatever. That, that had the like it was all like heavy pastas and sauces yes. and said so, like. Who, yeah, mom, let's Nobody go get a big that. plate of meatballs. Yeah. And there were like, places with like, hot soup and stuff. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> let's get a baked potato here from this stand, which is going to be mentioned. Oh, okay, so this one's a question from Brooklyn Rose 84 She says, uh, is the mile-long bar now Pecos Bills? How about yes. That? Yes, it is. Um, the the mile-long bar was absorbed into Pecos Bills Uh when it was uh when the makeover occurred um it, the design of the outside and the inside of the restaurant was quite a bit different when it when it opened up um the exit of country bear jamboree would open out into the mile long bar you could step up to the bar that was situated between two mirrors and get yourself a pepsi cola product uh, and then if you leaned your head in uh as you sometimes might do if you have two bathroom mirrors that face each other at, uh, at your house you could kind of lean forward and see make it the solution that the bar went on for a really long time uh it was really i don't you know bar it was a bar top but there were you know a line of probably like two or three cash registers on it it wasn't like you couldn't no, sit at it no booze yeah no booths or anything now interesting enough when we did our movie night there was some artwork of the original location of the country bear jamboree uh where it was supposed to be on the end of the street where pecos bills is now uh, rather than situated closer to the tiki room where it is and they showed like a full bar uh in the artwork for that so there would have been like more of a sit down uh bar with tables and a bar that you could sit at as is one of the original ideas for that so kind of got shrunk down i guess uh still a mile long but <laughs> but a lot smaller in 1980 you could get hot dogs chips pepsi diet oh. pepsi Team, which is the lemon lime product of Pepsi at the time. Oh my gosh, I remember. Coffee that. and hot tea, or a Danish. Oh, <laughs> popping out sure. of the Country Bear Jamboree, said, "Man, I could yeah. go for a prune Danish." Yep, and it was really actually, the, and of course, the big attraction was that the uh, the heads of of the animals were inside of the bar. So when you walked out, they were continuing to sing the song from uh from the uh from the inside so it was a cool way to like come out and see there and then they should have said like i hope you get a pepsi yeah <laughs> won't <laughs> you gentlemen have a pepsi <laughs> <laughs> i'd like some team <laughs> the uh burn bomb says there's mirrors at the ends to make it seem longer yeah like the mile long effect that's the mile long that's, I always feel like, too, there's, they were so close to doing that, like which they did do on the rooftops there, the, the guns and sh you know shooting each other and stuff. But, like, I'm surprised they never had, like, an interactive, you know, dinner show back then when they could do stuff like that with Wild West and guns and people oh, hold you up at the mile-long bar and all that. Like, like um, <coughs> vacation, yeah. you know, with the Chevy Chase there. <laughs> There was there was a live uh, Western stunt show, mm -hmm. you know, in the 80s that some, some of y'all might remember with black bart that was pretty cool they'd run along the rooftops all righty from gallagher jason i assume it's jason gallagher have you talked about the mickey butter statues we haven't but they're desperate to talk about it todd wanted to bring it up and we have three images of them in our gallery so what was it was it real butter was it margarine it was real butter molded like mickey um 
we have a actually if you it? go to our image search and you type in butter you will find about three or four <laughs> images of it. it was something that was very much requested one was actually a um uh, a screen grab from a video i took of the butter in the in the coral reef and we took the two maraschino, maraschino cherries and a, and a <laughs> toothpick and made them lifting weights like a barbell you know so uh, that's on there. But, um, yeah, there was the Mickey butter. I think somebody said, oh, you know, you always decapitated Mickey first, which was, you know, a little uh, little disconcerting. I suppose you could have laid him down, taken him out feet first. But um, there was also um, the Walt Disney World logo butter, too. Remember that? With the, mm-hmm. that had the had the, the, the D with the, the, Mickey, the globe uh, circles. Yeah, the globe or something like that. Yeah. Um, and there was also mention of flavored butter, which was in a variety of different restaurants as well over the years. And, uh where you kind of had a choice and, and stuff. But I, I... I remember Epcot logo butter. Oh, that's really? right. We yeah. got that when we ate at the Rose and Crown. That's right. Yep. That was fancy. So, Wait, yeah, which butters, logo butters was a it? Big, was a big thing. People have really fun memories of those butters because, you know, it, it was fancy. Yeah. And, and I think the only one doing it now is Universal. Universal has... Uh, they stamped their logo into butter in their... In, um, What's the place? The Mythos, the uh, the Greek themed restaurant yes. there, which is excellent, and uh, probably in a few other places too. But they do have the Universal logo butter there. But I don't know that. I want to say I was somewhere on Disney property not long ago that had some kind of logo in there. But there's so many of those places being run by third parties now. I don't think it was a Disney restaurant. Okay, well, that explains why. It- that explains why Mythos is like the number one theme park butter restaurant in the world. That's it. It's the butter. Voted five times. It's the butter. Five time champion on the butter. According what? to Butter Tasters magazine. <laughs> Randa Rhonda writes us, Rhonda seventy six eighty one, Diamond Horseshoe watching the review and King Stefan's Banquet Hall, which I know we gave away a, a glass from King Stefan's early on in the podcast. Yeah, a long time ago, yeah. Never did King Stephens, did you guys? I've been there as Cinderella's royal table a couple of times. I've never been there as when it was King Stephens, and when it opened, it had a reputation for having a very high end cuisine. For most of the time that I've been aware of it, it had a reputation for terrible cuisine uh, that that just got by on its location. Um, but I, you know, the times I've eaten there as Cinderella's Royal Table, the meals haven't been bad. They've been pretty good. So I don't know. The problem know. was King Stefan didn't have good taste in food. He did right? not. Well, just, he was yeah. from the wrong movie anyway. So Right, yeah. right. <laughs> I ate there, I think it was 96, I want to say. That was a little bit before the changeover. Um, I can't remember if it was good or bad or what I even had. But uh, I did, did come home with the mug for it. Uh, actually, it might have been 98, actually, now that I think about that I went up there. So. They did have quiche for lunch. That's another theme park favorite Ooh, after a quiche. hot morning in the parks. Yeah, and Brian, beef and was... barley soup. I see that's on the list. <laughs> it's it's a light. It's I mean it's a light luncheon. A quiche. I mean, uh, Brian, that uh, was one of the slides. I remember when you got it was it, um, uh, as a woman eating uh, a lunch up there, and we tried to zoom in to see. We're like, we, oh, I think there's we peas. desperately, we desperately tried to. <laughs> step. We knew she was drinking iced tea, but. Yeah, <laughs> and there and there was a bread basket on the table. I just looked at that picture today. Actually, was there Mickey butter well, here, on the table? I'll tell you some of the things they had. I, I have the full beef, menu. Beef. Here. Oh, do you? Oh, you got it. Well, the full menu. Yeah. Give us, give us some facts. What What would you like? There's the luncheon menu and the dinner menu. Actually, they're very similar. Beef barley, French onion soup uh, choice, or salad chiffonade. 
And the salad chiffonade was tomato, string beans, cucumbers, salami strips, and bits of bacon served on chilled lettuce with choice of dressing. It sounds like a like a sort of a chef salad or an antipasta salad. Um, seafood Newberg, children's portion is <laughs> poulet Louise, which is just portions of tender chicken fried to a gold or chicken fingers. Oh, okay. Hunter's stew with dumplings, King Stephen's vegetable salad. Uh, the King's cut or the Grand Duke cuts of the prime rib, uh, at, at dinner time, kids could get chicken Devon child's chicken or the Royal Mariner, which was red snapper in lemon butter sauce. But the dessert, both at lunch and dinner, uh, crepes Angelica or the Sherwood crepe. Now I know the Sherwood crepe is a mint, uh, uh like a cream de menthe, uh, crepe. I don't remember where crepe angelica. I think that's uh I think that was a vanilla sauce. I have the recipes in the other room. I meant to put my cookbooks next to me while we did this, but um the big thing about this, since we're jumping into my menu book a bit, at the bottom of the menu it says tallage includes appetizer, entree, hot bread, dessert, and a beverage. So I had to Google tallage today because I'm not big on medieval terms. And uh it is a 14th century term. Uh, for when a king would impose an unfair tax or levy upon uh, a city or a village in his kingdom. Oh, so what is so, that? So it's a fee. It's a tax. So tallage, uh, which I guess is they're trying to be cutesy here, in meaning that what you're paying for lunch includes your uh, appetizer. Okay. Oh, really? okay. So was like it like a fixed price? Uh, Prefix, prefix. It was yes, not. It you. was not. It was just telling okay. you that these other items, you know, menus do that. Dinner includes, you know, right. salad and bread and a beverage. And so it the entrees were all priced separately, but the uh, the the entree price included, you know, appetizer, dessert and a beverage. Gotcha. I love the outfits that the <sighs> servers wore. Crazy. Like these medieval tapestry looking things with this hat this like it was on the cover of actually the uh the uh the disney look that you that we just scanned and put up but it's like it's it looks super medieval i mean it's they're fan yes. there is it, when when you talk about like disney costumes it's like that legitimately looks yeah, like it's, it's, a costume it's right out of, of, it's right out of monty python and the holy grail like <laughs> yes. um the last thing I'm going to mention here, because it's going to come up on a on a on a letter coming soon that JT's going to read, uh, the court jester's punch, and we're going to come back to that in a moment. So go ahead. Okay, next one we have here: uh, character breakfast at the Polynesian. That is from Second Star Sisters. Minnie's Menahuni breakfast, right? How right. is that? Did I pronounce yes, it right? Very I good. Pronounced yep. it right. Yeah. Uh huh. It's not an easy one. Yeah, which eventually became the Ohana breakfast. Mm-hmm. But. but lives on today our old pal joe barlow he sent us uh, about eight emails today so yeah thanks joe uh trails end restaurant during the late 80s and through the 90s they had a taco bar at lunch every day pour one out for the old trails end not open yet uh it was always top notch with very good ground beef and all the toppings or i feel like at fort wilderness they would have said the fixins bar <laughs> something along that that terminology L there. I don't bar because it was a taco yeah. bar. <laughs> L, you put the L, L means the is that? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm just I, no, just the letter L. 
Or the first name L, like E L L E. Yeah, I mean a taco. A taco 11. bar sounds like it would be very popular. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't recall this because I don't remember going there for lunch ever. It was usually a dinner move. But that—that's I love a good taco bar. Any kind of bar like that yeah. sounds good. Yeah, who wouldn't want to eat a taco? I'm not sure if it's uh, on here. I don't see it in our in your list here. Um, somebody mentioned. Uh, did somebody mention it, or we see it in a in a reading somewhere? The silent films shown it trails end which i'd never heard heard of before and i put that out there to the fort wilderness peeps and nobody really responded but if you know about that that's interesting I, my thought was like well did they bring people to hoopty do for eating and yeah because i mean the layout going. of trails end where would they be running silent films I mean, yeah i i had somebody reply who is clearly confused they said uh no no they had sound we brought blankets and everything and i'm like <laughs> I think you mean the campfire movie. That's that's different. <laughs> that's spreading out a blanket and trails and watching that. <laughs> that should be very funny. She's gonna hide and, under this know, table there, here. <laughs> so there was a there was a brief period of time. Well, no, when was that? Actually, JT, I think you read that thing. Was it? It was actually from what the nineteen eighties. That that early early. No, it yeah. was the one the seventy one something seventy something. Brian said seventy eight maybe. Okay, so that's after Hoopty Doo. Because the hoopty doo, you know, they built that all, and then they kind of like threw hoopty doo into that space. Right. So I wonder if that well, was something well, there was, that they showed. You there know, was Melvin in, the actually, Moose breakfast. So you wonder, was it lunch? Was it before hoopty doo? Yeah, yeah, maybe early in the day, just to mm-hmm. have something to run there and utilize that space. I heard at one point they showed nature films in there too during lunch, and the you know the the Disney nature movies from the '60s and that were played in there. So. Okay, next up is um, Bill and Henrietta from New York. They say, greetings, love the podcast. Uh, I've been going to Disney since 1986. Mrs. The Concourse Steakhouse. His wife and I loved walking there from Magic Kingdom, having a quiet lunch in one of the booths, watching the monorail go by. We would then sit across the aisle at the bar area and enjoy the Bay Lake view. Great to soak in the atmosphere with no crowds. I had that exact experience leaving the Magic Kingdom on a boiling hot day uh, and wandering into the contemporary looking for something to eat. And we ended up at the Concourse Steakhouse. And I remember having a delicious salad with steak on top of it and uh, just such a nice day. Uh, they, uh, Bill and Henrietta also missed the original Kate May Cafe Buffet. Boy, that's a tongue twister. Kate May Cafe Buffet. Back when the resort first opened, the dinner buffets had a much better meal and dessert selection back then. He says uh, it's uh, very been become very watered down. Uh, I can't speak to that because I don't recall having eaten there. I do know that the big attraction at the Cape May Buffet uh, is that they do the crab legs on the buffet. So people go there to get their seafood fix on and there's clams and shrimp and but but the big thing is that you know giant crab legs that people take back and you know people who love crab legs sit there and cut them up and and eat them so the the net effect is whenever you're walking in the back end of the beach club past that restaurant uh the whole hallway past it smells like fish and if you've ever lived with someone who cooks fish in the house it stinks uh, so that's what you have at the Cape May buffet. So if you eat breakfast there, because they have a breakfast buffet too, it's great. But you have a breakfast that has like the odor of fish hanging in the air. So oh. I bring it up because 
I had occasion to walk through the resort when I was down in January of this year. And of course, the buffet's been closed for nine months uh, at that point. And it was very nice to be able to walk through there and not smell rotting fish carcass. So I enjoyed that. All right. Thanks, uh, Bill and Henrietta. Next one. Uh, this is from, I think. Dave. Yes, this is from Dave. Dave says, as a kid, I loved the Pinocchio Village House because of its theming, the view of Small World, and the burgers. And I agree with you, Dave. I never, uh, not never, we didn't go there very much, but going in Small World was one of those things as a kid you'd see. You'd be like, wait, what are those people doing in there? How do they eat there? And then, I forget, was it on the way into the rides? You'd see it. And then by the time you got done with the ride, you'd forget. But that moment always played back in my head of like, I want to eat there. And then you forgot. It just seemed really cool. Agreed. It is. I'll tell you, that's a that's a tough restaurant to eat in now because the that main dining area is just so compressed. Yeah, <laughs> there are, are so many more people these days with strollers and so many like it was that place does was not built you know to house the the modern accoutrements that people bring with them today so it's it's interesting too because they've the menu there now is i think entirely flatbreads if i remember correctly it's just flatbreads and if you think about that that's brilliant there are no condiments for flatbreads so they don't have to refill ketchup or worry about having you know people running back and forth to get the relish cups or anything you just it's just you ordered the barbecue chicken or the pepperoni pizza flatbread you sit down you eat it you leave there's they've made it as simplistic as they can uh but even the outdoor seating area is so packed in together those little umbrella tables out there uh you know i've eaten and i want to is there an upstairs there no 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 Uh, look there's like a faux that's right there's faux like overlooks up there but uh but it's uh it's a, it's fine. To, like I, 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 that's one of the places where I, people say, "What's the, what's the food like there?" I say, "It's food." It's, yeah, you, you leave and you're not hungry. Yeah, there's, I mean, you know, ch- there's charming murals on the wall. There are Pinocchio. The famed like Figaro is a cat. I don't think I've like ever like ate a... there. Now I think about it at all. I don't think I've ever had anything there. Oh. Next trip, Todd lunches on me. Oh Let's well, go. there we go. Yeah. It won't be memorable. Apparently, <laughs> he'll even let you get extra <laughs> toppings. Ooh, <laughs> double the pepperoni. Now, I, I will say about the the village house, the the ceiling feels like it's about six and a half feet tall throughout it too. For some reason, it they feels spent like all the money on the small world ceiling. There just wasn't enough for the. Mm-hmm. For the village well, house. it's it's funny because when you walk in, the ceiling's low, but then it gets big when you walk into the center courtyard where the ordering is. Yeah, yep. it kind of goes up into a bigger space there, and it kind of feels like a little bit like you're outside, but it's it's kind of useless. And then as soon as you go sit down, you're like back under a lower ceiling. Mm-hmm. Many, many parents know the, the the struggle of finding a seat in there. Your wife gets it. She reserves it with some napkins and, you know, the, the whole it's, thing. It's one of those types of places. Maybe it's that's not... why I avoid it. I don't know. It's always Columbia Harbor, Harbor House for us upstairs where it's quiet. So. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. You, you did it and you're like, I'm not going back. It's it's, a, it's, it's one of the few restaurants that overlooks an attraction other than San Angel Inn, too, right? I can't. It's That's true. Right? Yeah. And it's it very can... limited. And it there's what? Four windows, maybe? Five? Yeah, you hope yeah. for that seat. Yeah, you're yeah, not going to yeah, get it. It's like, you're going to have to fight for it. <laughs> and don't, you left that Garden Grill. but Oh, oh, oh Garden Grill, yes, of garden course. Grill. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's the biggest one of all. You get to see and, multiple and scenes. The, and technically, the Coral Reef, 
looks into the fish tank. So mm. that's yeah. the main attraction of the Living Seas. You used to be able to sit on the veranda of the swamp boats. The, uh, of the, and watch the swamp boats. Yeah, go swamp by, boats exactly. go by, yeah. Or even in the Oasis snack bar. That's right. Uh, over the Jungle Cruise and watch the swamp boats go by. Um, Dave also says uh, one of his Epcot favorites is the Lands Farmer's Market and Stargate in Communicore. He said the burgers were the exact same as the Village House, and he thought they were amazing. <laughs> probably, probably the Brawlmaster 5000 doing its That's job. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And then a uh, big shout-out to the Retro Popcorn Kiosk at Epcot near Imagination, hoping they don't get rid of it. Is that, like, original or it, something? It is lives that... on. It was still operating and selling ridiculously priced buckets of popcorn uh i mean that's I like from the 80s ago. i i i guess i i mean i i never gave it a second thought it's just always been there as long huh. as like that's a there's the pretzel kiosk on the one side and then the yeah. popcorn kiosk on the other and i usually go to the pretzel kiosk so that's like one of my stops is to get a mickey pretzel there and sit down and have a pretzel and a diet coke right about at that point in future world Hey, if it ain't broke. Yeah. Yeah, do you keep, keep sit it. there and you can watch the ducks walk up the ramp and the whole thing. Um, okay, Doug, my favorite food. We found our guy that loves heavy pasta. That's right. This is, we it, did. My, is. my favorite food item at Epcot was the tortellina, tortellini in meat sauce from the Sunshine Seasons Food Fair in the land. You got a stronger stomach for, in 90-degree weather than I do, my friend. He, he looks forward to that lunch at least once per trip and was crushed last year. Oh, the last year he went, yes. sorry, not last year, 1999-2000. Only fine had been removed from the menu. I was 20 years too too late there. Um, later, the entire setup of the food court was changed. So Yeah, fewer stations, and uh, they took away Jim Sarno's uh, fountain to increase the seating down there. And, uh, you know, the, the food is still very good in that food court, but it's... Uh, it's very different from the, I think it was Seven Stations back uh, when it opened in 1982 uh, with a baked potato station, amongst other things. But we got Lainey here from Boston. She says uh, she can't find recipes or reference these. She says she, uh, first is a recipe for a drink she remembers called Freedom Punch from the Magic Kingdom in 1974 to 1980-ish. It was a cloudy purple punch that I remember having at Pecos Bill's, Liberty Tree Tavern, and King Stephens. It's so delicious, and there's no mention of it anywhere. Um, all right, here we go. Let's stump the experts. Do we know what Freedom Punch is? <laughs> well, I I spent some time on this last night and today after we got this email, and I, and I did find Freedom Punch on the menu in 1980 in the Columbia Harbor House. I then also discovered that many locations had a custom-named Punch including the other locations that she named. So I mentioned when we were at King Stephens, I have to look back and see what it was called. Uh, there was at tournament tent, there was Squires punch uh, and King Stephens. Where did I put there's punch at the Plaza pavilion? Uh, the court jesters punch was at King Stephens. I suspect that they all were the same as she's remembering. They just would slap a different name on it. I even went so far as to ask our friend BJ Major about the punch they served at Light Bite in Lake Buena Vista. And she said that it just came in from Central Foods, that it wasn't something that they mixed there. So she didn't know what was in it. Uh, but the thing that was on the Liberty Tree menu, that kind of threw me off because Liberty Tree's punch 
They were famous for the lemon sherbet cooler, which we do have the recipe for, uh, which isn't that creative. I mean, it's just lemon sherbet in a, in a, like a plain soda with some maybe lemonade. Uh, but that was it. Lemon sherbet cooler was what they were famous for. And that was on the menu for a very long time there. So I don't have a recipe for Freedom Punch. Uh, it is not in any of the books, but we'll keep our eyes peeled on that one, Laney. However, the next piece of your email, we can do much better. Can I add to that, Brian? Yeah. Uh, Sleepy Hollow, Burn Bomb, 1986. They had a legendary punch. Yes, that's on here, too. Okay. And if I recall, a few years ago, we talked to somebody about Tomorrowland, and they said there was a punch, there, a Welch's there, punch. There is. Punch. Under the lunching pad, I think. Yes. They're, no, they're, the space bar. They're all in here. As I went through today, there, there was also at the Wedway space bar the Splashdown Peach Punch. That's the one that what people rave about. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh, when we flip through this menu book a little, I actually spent some time today highlighting all the punches because it's <laughs> like 70s and early 80s were like the era of punch. And I guess if you weren't, you know, kids, if you weren't drinking apple juice back then, because that's what I remember drinking all the time as a kid. We drank apple juice. Um, and you got, like, punch and stuff when, when you went out to eat. Like, that was – there was Hawaiian punch. There was Kool-Aid. Uh, but I think these – I think these, like, outdoor – at, at McDonald's, it was the high C orange drink, the orange – you know, I, I just think that was like what the kids drank. Like you would, kid, no kid drank water when you went out to eat. Like you, yeah, that's this true. is and almost it, the precursor to those very expensive light up kid drinks that are out there now. Like the, yeah, I would think like it was the alternative. It was if your parents didn't want to buy a soda, so you got punch because oh, there's punch, fruit yeah. in it. It must be good for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. You know, punch was a big thing as you as you said, uh, Brian. You know, the 50s, 60s, and 70s. It really became a, a a themed item for a party. Was that coming out of the tiki craze too? Was that kind of a sideline from that? Or okay, so I'm trying to. I could be a little fuzzy here, but I want to say a, a lot of this does go back to Hawaiian punch. I, hmm. And I would also take it back to prohibition. So yeah. in prohibition, it was very. Well, I mean, we jump back even further. I mean, if you go back to the origins of alcohol punch. It was because the alcohol was so terrible when they were on ships and stuff. They would mix it with other things to make it palatable uh, and also to go down easy so they could drink a lot of it. Uh, but, you know, you fast forward through the eras when you go through Prohibition, there were two kinds. There was spiked punch. You know, it was a way to look like you weren't drinking when you were. Uh, but there was also, you know, ladies lunches and things like that. That became the era of the big punch bowl and. Uh, my thing, I remember like parties, like kids' birthday parties and stuff when we were growing up, where it was literally like a half gallon of ice cream or sherbet. Yeah, that was that was disembodied in its entirety, like taken out of the box, or just like the square was put in there, and they would pour like ginger ale and something else in there, right? And that was what we drank. Like you yeah. just scooped it out with like a little bit of the ice cream and some ginger ale, and maybe there was a. A fruit you, concoction in there, too. Would you like some carbonated sugar with your frozen sugar? Yeah, it was <laughs> like, and you'd be like, oh, boy, this is, I mean, you didn't have like five glasses of it. You had a little bit, oh, this is punch. But, you know, Timmy's mom was like, oh, look, Timmy's mom made punch, you know. 
It was, but it, it was the era in the seventies of like if you weren't having soda, it's like it was some kind of concoction that your parents put together. Whether it was Kool Aid, you know, you got the crystals and the mix it with water, you know, stuff that you could mix with water. Your lemonade was yeah. typically frozen concentrate that you would mix with water, and then in the eighties it became powders because yeah. powders were apparently more space aged than, than frozen pulp things. So yeah, that was just it's what you had. But we're gonna keep at it, Laney. Because someday somebody's going to be able to tell us what the concoction was that made up these these famous punches. And then Retro Magic 4, everybody's going to have a glass of it. Oh, we're just going to have a punch bar. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing she mentions is uh, key lime pie at the Coral Isle Cafe during the 70s, something I still dream about. They even had a picture of this on a poster in the elevator of the Great Ceremonial House. It was more of a chiffon-based pie. Oh, and one last thing. The teriyaki T-bone there was our favorite. Brian, please help with four exclamation points. I, I can help. Help is on the way. <laughs> uh, we have, you. your memory serves you correctly, it is a lime chiffon pie. Disney did not publish the recipe for it in any of their cookbooks. However, we placed on our website last year uh, the two volumes written by the Orlando food critic, thought you'd never ask, uh, cookbooks, and the lime chiffon pie from the Polynesian is in there. So we've clipped it. It'll be in the show notes for you to look at. And Laney, I want you to make it, and I want you to make sure you send us a picture of it after you've made it and report back on the taste so you will be able to... Taste the key lime or the, uh, the the lime chiffon pie, and uh, a teriyaki T-bone sounds delightful. There was a period of time where a lot of the the Polynesian stuff had a teriyaki element to it, and uh, the teriyaki burger gets a lot of fun memories from the Adventureland veranda. Uh, so, ladies, local. I could you know I'm, I have no problem if she wants to deliver that that pie up this. Way. I invite. Invite Todd and his family over oh, for yeah. some lime chiffon pie. Have some lime chiffon pie. I, I might make it now. I mean, yeah, it's got Lady's endorsement. Um, take the train up from Philly. We'll meet in Boston. It'll be great. Get some clam chowder. Yeah, I'll take you. Pie. I'll take you to the. Uh, you can go to Bob's Clam Hut, um, or you can go to the world famous clam clam box, which is shaped <laughs> like a clam box. Uh, I'm on my way. All right. Okay. Next up, uh, Ron James Adventureland Veranda says there was an awesome teriyaki burger there as we just mentioned and that recipe's out there too it's really just a like a homemade teriyaki sauce uh did they put a piece did they put a slice of pineapple they did Mm. they did Ah. it was was a whole burger and but they but they the marinade was it was soy sauce and brown sugar and a couple like ketchup it's a couple other things and they that i'm sure it was all kikuman products yeah yeah his uh second place uh the monte cristo at the town square cafe so that was interesting uh this menu book that we're going to talk about in a bit and actually release with this episode, uh, I looked through there because we've had a lot of reports over the years of where the Monte Cristo was served in Florida before, for some reason, in the latter half of the 1990s, it disappeared from Florida, even though it sells like gangbusters in, in Disneyland and it's famous there. They brought it there with New Orleans Square in 1966, right? 66? Um, the, the, for whatever reason, it was here for 20 years. And then sometime in the nineties, it just like, they stopped selling it in Florida for some reason. Uh, so 
it was, you know, the, the, there are stories about it being served in the Cass Cafe. Um, th- it was in Tony's Town Square, or the, the, back then the Town Square, the Hospitality House. So he is remembering it correctly there. We had reports that it was in the Columbia Harbor House at one point. Uh, we have it on the menu at the Veranda Restaurant in Lake Buena Vista Village, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, so it was there at one time and obviously, uh, Ron remembers it and he's not wrong. Cause I think it's delightful too. And that menu, that recipe's out there. It's also on our website for the famous Monte Cristo sandwich. I made it a couple times during the pandemic when we had nothing to do, but sit home and look up things to make. <laughs> so, so I made the Monte Cristo using Disney's recipe. I had to buy yellow food cover- coloring for it. <laughs> Because there's like one drop of yellow food covering coloring in, make the, it in the batter to make the color right. And it's yep. right. That it, it, it makes the color right. Yep. Thanks, Ron. Next up, uh, BJ Major. She has great coverage of the land and has changes throughout the years. The only thing she wants to comment on is, uh, as mentioned at the very end, Disney Central Foods. She was sad to hear a while back that Disney is no longer making any of its food the way they used to. She uh, used to work in food service. Uh, at uh, Lake Buena Vista, got to know a little bit about all this. Daily deliveries from this facility would be pretty substantial. Think of when you'd see McDonald's truck resupplying a local McDonald's. We would have our cold salads, uh, that's like macaroni, potato salad, come in big white buckets from Central Foods. Also, all pastries were sold at the deli, were made uh, there and were as well, and were delicious. Black Forest cake, banana walnut cake, apple and cherry turnovers. She believes the chili uh, they served with Light Bites was also made there, and they turned out millions of burgers for the entire property every day. A uh, big moment of silence for Disney Central Foods. So, Brian, at uh, Retro Magic, uh, our next event, are we going to serve the cold things out of big five-gallon buckets, scoop them out with uh, ice cream scoops? And- we we have no proof that they that's not how they're served in the first place. That's true. They could still that's- be served that way out of... Reminds me of a cafeteria line. Just to put a little context to Central Foods and why it, why it existed at all is, you know, Central Florida, 1969, you do not have an infrastructure like you have in a modern... Uh, city today you you didn't have cisco and all those big food distributors that you could just call up and have you know 400 pounds of potato salad show up at your doorstep so they would have to order the raw materials have it delivered to central Foods. central foods would prepare you know they had a massive bakery they would prepare foods um for all over the property and then ship it out and then i think over the course of time as you started to get you know some of those big players uh start to exist and come into florida they were able to you know stop doing it themselves and just start hiring out someone else to do it and, and probably save, save money somewhere it saved a lot of money and like good laboratory rats uh, when the when the transition happened not long into the eisner wells era what they did was uh they first uh subcontracted out the employee cafeteria so all of the employee foods w- went to a contract with aramark uh, to so to do the to do the cafeteria and feed the you know run the employee food, and after nobody died there and you know the the kids were still getting burgers and hot dogs, uh, they started to to wind down Central Foods and start using outside vendors to supply the rest of that stuff when when they could. So I mean you still had all the chefs 
you know, making things in your fine dining and your sit down restaurants, preparing things in the kitchen. But, you know, they started to to farm out large scale baked goods and things like they, they did. You had full time bakers there. They were they were salaried employees that were in the Disney pension program and Disney benefits program. And in that era and in business today, people look at that and, you know, business business operators look at that and say, why are we in this business? And there was an answer to that in 1971, why they were in that business. There wasn't a strong answer for that in the late 80s when Central Florida had been built up and the infrastructure was there to provide those things. Okay, thank you for that. One more from Joe Barlow. Pioneer Hall Pizza. Used to go up for pizza all the time. You will get your pie, shell, sauce, your cheese. And then there was a line of monkey dishes with all the toppings. Uh, They used a small silver foil to scratch a number in it. Pop it in the oven. And there you go. It sounds like Seinfeld here. So that was the make-your-own-pizza, the late-night offering at Pioneer Hall. So from like 9 to midnight or 1 a.m. or whatever the the thing said, you could go and make your own pizza as you came back from the parks or whatever you were doing, done sitting around your campfire. Uh, You could go into Pioneer Hall and make your pizza. Uh, monkey dishes, for those of you that don't know, it's a restaurant term or, or uh, they're flat bottom bowls. So they would have been bowls of of uh, of, uh, you know, pepperoni and peppers and things like that, that you could top on your own pizza. Hopefully people were using tongs and not their hands or that they had like a cast member there with gloves on to put that stuff on your pizza. But well, it's pioneer days. And if you're going to keep in theme, then everyone just grabs it with their hands with their unwashed hands. Cause, <laughs> yes, cause there was exactly. no sinks or any soap back yeah. then to wash anything. So you just kind of went with three days of muck on it. Famous. Le- the, pi- Go ahead. the pioneers are famous for their pizzas too. Aren't I, they they like love when they pizza. Would take the Kona stack of I, I, that's, that's the thing that's back to the future. <laughs> part three's best part is when doc Brown and Marty go into town for pizza at the saloon. Uh, um, so uh, but famous last words jt you said uh we our last one was an email from joe barlow joe barlow sent us uh three other emails today two of which are pertinent is Uh, one about uh uh, closing the turnstile on the pizza bar no it is not although that is what he's famous for with us one is uh, in the back in the 80s early 90s he says there used to be a hot dog cart on east center street they sold foot-long Hebrew national hot dogs. I don't remember when the hot dog cart started or ended, but they did make a good foot-long hot dog. Howard Bowers, do you remember this? I, You know what I'm going to say? Yes. Yes, although you could get them at Casey's, but that makes sense that they would also have a something you know on Center Street where you could grab stuff. Because even as you moved into the 90s, they started to put some food, you know, like apples, and yeah. it, they turned it healthy at some point. Okay. But. Yeah, that's a great place to grab something. So that, that hot, Absolutely. hot dog cart is long gone, but but fondly remembered. Uh, for and its... now they would charge you like $20 for that foot long <laughs> hot dog. Yes. Uh, Joe Barlow mentioned two things. One was the Mickey Butter, which we've discussed. Uh, and he, he has fond memories of that, as do a lot of people that have written in. Says the first thing they did was cut off his head. Whoa, uh, hang on one second. I think I actually have a wrapper from the foot long hot dog Whoa. in my possession. Wait a minute. You know what? Now you reckon you just reminded me too. In my, in the film I restored calling through my father's lens, he's eating the foot dog hot dog in the film. Yes. Remember that? I, I do just, remember that, but is that in the magic kingdom or is that it, down in the village? Oh, uh, it's magic kingdom. Okay. Well then at least we know they had it there too. 
Yeah. It's not the rapper that Howe has, right? That's <laughs> I don't know. He doesn't have your dad's rapper, does he? Because that would be crazy. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. <clears throat> While Howe's looking for that, uh, I'm, I'm going to mention this. I don't know if Howe can hear us. The Joe's second buttery memory is getting a plate with three individual compartments filled with three different butters. One was an apple butter, one was a sweet butter, and a butter he can't remember. Was this trio of buttery delights served at any particular restaurant? The answer is yes. Uh, that was the uh, plate that would come with the walnut bread and the rolls at Liberty Tree Tavern. So they were famous for serving it alongside apple butter, like a honey butter. And then I think the other one was probably plain butter. Uh, but yes, Joe Barlow, your memory is not failing you. That is an actual thing. And he says the two best butters on property today are at the Hoop-de-Doo musical review and the Hollywood Brown Derby. And I will agree, the butter at the Hollywood Brown Derby is divine because they bring you this like expensive unsalted butter then with like sprinkled like Himalayan salt on it. Like grain, like really grainy salt. It's really delicious. Oh, <laughs> how is holding up the foot-long hot dog. Look at that. It is it is silver, like mylar. Yeah, almost. they you, you know they did that for heat it's retention. That foil, yeah, that foil. Yeah, yeah. they would get foil. hamburgers, hot dogs, and pizza sometimes in those. And, and it and it has that same kind of design on it that the the, the bag, bags had yeah. on with yeah. Epcot and Mickey. So we'll have slowly. to scan that in and so uh, and I'm going to measure it just yeah. to make sure <laughs> it's not the you know. No, it's an eight incher. Jesus. No, look at this. It is thirteen inches, right? Thirteen. It is, it is one foot long. The the thing is a foot long, and the end of the hot dog would just kind of stick out of the bag, so you could start eating it out of the end of it. That's perfect. So, so somehow I was impressed enough by the foot long hot dog, Joe, that I saved the wrapper. That's amazing. I can't believe that you dug that out in like less. Wait, what else is in that file? I saw you walk over the file with a grin. (laughs) I also have some of those napkin that we those Mickey napkins we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we can talk about it now. For years, they had these napkins that Hal just held up. We'll put it on the, but that had four four different Mickey's, uh, and it the the cute thing about it was the little thought bubble. It's like, gee, that sure looks good, and it's supposed to as you wipe the food like off your face with the napkin mickey saying oh the, your food looks good you know? rob brought me one back from a trip you know it was like it was a souvenir he brought me back was that mm-hmm. and i have it it's somewhere i've never I think that it. was i i can't remember if they didn't have napkins like i think they were just plain napkins so I, when they came out with those i must have been so impressed that i took some home because yeah. i was like wow look at these cool mickey napkins that's it that's all that's in that file yeah those well that that is my magic kingdom restaurant uh, file so i have other files for the other parks for other days, other days other episodes <laughs> yeah well actually we're going to talk about one of the other ones later on from yeah. disney mgm so that's right. uh that's it on the the, the paper there Th- that, that is all of our letters and and cards and calls Requests that we got from folks uh so we are going to go into a couple of things I- i'm going to jump into this menu book but first uh todd there's a specific epcot uh, snack that you had a query about whether or not it's still up to standards. That's right. Uh, I remember in the mid eighties, a late night snack, we said, Oh, egg roll. And we grabbed one and, Oh, it tasted so good. It was delicious, perfectly fried. 
I haven't had one since then. I don't know why. I never thought to go get one, but I want to know if they're still up to stuff. Uh, as a frequent uh, partaker of the egg roll offerings in both the Magic Kingdom and Epcot, I can report that the egg rolls in China are still very good. Excellent. In fact, I had them on my last trip. They made up a large part of my dinner one night as I <laughs> snacked around the World Showcase for dinner uh, with my friend Yvonne. And we we uh, we stopped for egg rolls there. And they have them both out on the cart at the Joy of Tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in the the quick service window that they have inside next to nine dragons that you can get them there too. Okay. Five and a half dragons. <clears throat> That's the quick service place. <laughs> four and a half dragons. Four and a half, half dragons. Dragon. His, his understanding there would be no math. Um, <laughs> and, and, and in Magic Kingdom, they're the egg roll cart, which if you follow me on social media, you know I love the egg roll cart, but now it sells spring rolls. It's in Adventureland uh, and – eventually i figure that'll phase itself out but they keep adding kind of new cool things to it like doing like bacon cheeseburger spring rolls and things like that to try to oomph it up so howard you brought to our attention a brochure you had for the uh breakfast in agrabah yeah mgm tell us who doesn't want who doesn't want to have breakfast (laughs) in agrabah sounds delightful Yes. So Sounds this like was good. at the Soundstage restaurant. So after the interior uh, no longer looked like the set from Big Business, because it actually was pieces from the set from the movie <laughs> Big Business that were shipped to Florida and reassembled to look like the hotel. Um, it would, as each uh, Disney animated movie came out, it would get changed to match that movie. And for a period of time, it was changed to match Aladdin. So um to offer a character breakfast uh in uh at Disney MGM, you could uh have this Aladdin breakfast. So I'm gonna pull up my brochure. They actually handed out brochures to people to try to get them to like come sign up for this because you know this was before the internet. So if you wanted someone to come to your thing, <laughs> you gotta give them some paper. Um, all right. So on the cover, wonderful picture of Aladdin and Abu. It says, meet us for breakfast in Agrabah from 10.30, I'm sorry, from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. daily at the Aladdin Soundstage Restaurant. And here's what you could get for breakfast. Uh, Aladdin's Royal Omelette, which was an omelette <laughs> with uh, mushrooms and uh, Monterey Jack cheese, which, of course, Agrabah is famous for. Um, Jasmine's Delight, which is fresh fruit filled crepes with warm vanilla sauce. Actually, that sounds great. I'd... I'd eat Jasmine's Delight any day. Yeah. Um, uh, this is one of my favorites. The assorted meats of Agrabah. So hickory smoked bacon, pork link sausage, and turkey sausage. And that's it. It's just a plate of, plate of meat. Um, scrambled eggs of boo, magic carpet waffle, uh, which actually had fruit on it. So I guess that would be a Belgian waffle. Um, Jafar's home-style breakfast potatoes. Oh, well, I, I would want Jafar well making known. my breakfast. What's the rat poison in it? Like... <laughs> he's an evil guy there's, like he's and the tagline is they're so good they're mm-hmm. sinister oh come on uh then there's the royal caravan of assorted cereals uh and fresh whole fruit which is i guess you'd walk up to so it's like a cereal bar and then of course coffee hot tea orange juice and milk it says uh, a little description dine in the streets of exotic agarbal with your favorite characters from disney smash hit aladdin hop magic carpet for breakfast you'll never forget 
it's the perfect way to start your day at the Disney MGM Studios theme park. And they even circled the telephone number where it says, for more information, call 824-4321. Well, that's a great phone number. We should call that and see what happens today. Oh, and here's price. It was a... Uh, for adults, it was ten ninety nine. For kids, it was seven dollars and ninety five cents. Huh. Tax not included. Not a bad deal. Not at all. I'm ready yeah, to head so, over there and yeah, let's, so you, you can get to meet Jasmine and Aladdin and Jafar and uh, Iago perched on his shoulder. Surely the same costumes that they wore in the the Disney MGM uh, Aladdin parade that was going on at the same time. And uh, that's where the spinning camels ended up for a while between their. Uh, between their uh, journey from the uh, from the Aladdin parade to um, eventually the um, flying carpets at the Magic Kingdom, they were stationed outside of this restaurant to spit on you before you ate. All right, so as we continue our tour here through the uh, the kitchen of Walt Disney World, um, Brian's got two more things we're going to do here. The first one, we're going to talk a little bit about a 1981 menu book that we were able to pick up, uh, and then we're going to jump over to Lake Buena Vista. Uh, the enigma of the restaurants over there and Empress Lily, a couple things that have changed and crepes will come up again as well. So, uh, Brian, what do we got in this? Well, we need to tell them a little backstory of how we got this. And wow, it's it, it's a popular item. Um, well, how we got it was one day Hal jumped into our group chat and said, hey, look at this thing that's up for auction. And it was a book. Uh, prepared internally for Disney, all hand-typed, like typed on like a, a typewriter. Uh, this predates the word processor era, uh, probably by a year or two. Uh, and it is literally every menu for every restaurant on property for fiscal year 1981. It's Most of this stuff is dated the latter half of the 1980 year. Uh, and it's their prices. And in some cases, there's like backstories, like menu preambles and stuff. It was not in great shape when we got it. So the first thing we did was digitize it and make sure that we could preserve it forever. Uh, How has actually turned it into a searchable document, which has been helpful. Uh, and with the release of this episode, we're actually going to release the PDF uh, to everybody. So you'll be able to download it. And reference it because that's what we're here for. That's why we take your donations and that's why we buy things like this. And they're not for us to have. They're for all of you to have. So uh, this is a phenomenal resource. We've referred to it several times tonight just during this episode. Uh, but it's a great snapshot in time. And for our next segment, what it actually helps us do is we, we've had some requests uh, from people, but also from you, Todd, that we move into Lake Buena Vista Village and go through the dining establishments down there because they're a lot less well-documented or remembered yeah. by a lot of people than the theme park restaurants and the resort restaurants are. Uh, this makes it actually very simple because there's a whole section on Lake Buena Vista Village and the Lake Buena Vista Club, uh, which was at the uh, townhomes and timeshare residences that they had built uh, for eventual use down there. So let me jump in to the sections here. And what I'm just going to do is kind of go restaurant by restaurant. Uh, how and you can let us know if you've ever been to any of them. When we get to the Empress Lily, we've all been there in some form or fashion. Uh, the first one is the Village Restaurant. And that was the main sit-down restaurant there before the Empress Lily was added 
1977. So the village opened in 1975 and uh, the village restaurant was the main sit down restaurant. Did you eat there, Hal? Yeah, eventually became Chef Mickey's. Yes, if I recall the, the first Chef Mickey's. Yes, yes. Um, and it there are there's a like a postcard from there. Uh, there's there's a postcard in circulation that they actually made of that shows people like sitting there in this uh, very seventies ornate decor, and there were plants, potted plants everywhere inside the restaurant, and uh, you know they're very nice attempt to make it look like a. Uh, a contemporary uh, fine dining space. So the, the menu reflects that. Uh, I, I know in past episodes, I've read a lot fr- from the menus. I'll give you a few highlights from this. You guys have this document in front of you. I know you each have the PDF. Uh, so lunch is, they, they have like egg options. And that was a very... A lady's lunch at the time was considered quiche and a salad or things like that were were considered ladies' luncheons at the time for ladies who lunch because this was still the tail end of an era where there was a generation of of mothers and wives who didn't work. uh, And once their children were out of the home, uh, this became, it was like a social, and they have like the Red Hat Club now. Uh, but back then, there were social clubs, civic groups, and then just ladies had their groups of friends that they would go to lunch with. And, uh, you know, you see it and reflected in the Mad Men and shows of that era. Uh, so the menu here reflects that. It was Eggs Benedict, Quiche Lorraine, the calorie counter. And the calorie counter is broiled chopped steak. That's like meatloaf or a hamburger patty. Cottage cheese, tomato wedges, and a hard-boiled egg. Mm-mm, sign me up, right? Like that, just, <laughs> just right there. Uh, and it has nice salads and seafood options, and then sandwiches. Nothing out of the ordinary here for me to to call your attention to. Uh, and dinner is not altogether different. Dinner has a lot of the same luncheon items, uh, but you could get a skillet of sizzling mushrooms if you wanted, sautéed in butter with wine. You just know, a la, just a la carte. Just, just a bag. Give me a bag of mushrooms to go. Yeah. However, let's get to the fancy dinner. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. How about some sautéed frog's legs? Ooh. Ooh. Browned in garlic butter and Parmesan cheese with rice pilaf. Uh, nothing else that's like as cool as frog's legs. But I would probably get the beef stroganoff or the steak Oscar. But the menu for little shoppers, that's what it's called. <laughs> the menu for little shoppers, because it was a shopping village, if you remember. Yeah. Chicken in a basket, a junior cut of prime rib, or a jumbo hamburger with cheese. There you go. The village restaurant. But say you didn't want to go to the village restaurant. You no, didn't want to go wanna, there. Yeah, want to go somewhere right. else. Yeah, maybe you're not into the jazz music that they play at the nighttime there. Well, it's, it so is classy. It is classy. But you know yeah. what, Hal? If you couldn't get your, your your sport coat altered at Sir Edward's Haberdasher a few stores down, uh, maybe you wanted to go a little more casual, right? So maybe you went to Captain Jack's Oyster Bar. Oh, yeah, that's very go. casual. Which I think we could fairly say was the longest lived of the Lake Buena Vista shopping eateries. It lasted until the refurbishment uh, and uh, from downtown Disney into Disney Springs when it was finally demolished. Uh but it, the specialty of the house, first, you know, it was a bar. It was an oyster bar. 
was the frozen strawberry margarita. And that's what they were famous for. I know I've told before, I have a picture of my aunt and uncle drinking them in like 1979 at, at uh, sitting in Captain Jack's. Uh, the description, the specialty of Captain Jack's, a frozen blend of strawberry tequila, triple sec, strawberries and fruit juice rimmed with your choice of sugar or salt. What person says, you know what I, this really needs is a rim of sugar. <laughs> on top yeah. of all on top of all that you have to get the salt that's right and well I, uh, so it's not because it's not lime based yeah I, I get that's it that's why they okay. go with yeah i get it How, but... however though I, i've got some information here from burn bombs they were served in big balloon shaped goblets with yes. a slice of lime a straddle the rim tart slightly fruity and altogether delightful so this there, there was a lime involved in it even though it was strawberry based. So, and my understanding is that the tequila, the strawberry tequila was actually sourced from Tampa. So it was a local uh, uh, Florida thing. So I don't know if that's around anymore. I'm going to have to do some digging and see if I can see strawberry tequila. I want to taste this. I'm curious. Then we can do a taste test, salt or sugar. We could have it at retro magic. We could frozen strawberry margaritas. Uh, You could get some black tower wine if uh, you didn't want the strawberry, strawberry tequila. But as you would imagine, uh, the menu was heavy. Well, Captain Jack's was really, it was appetizers. It was cold and hot appetizers because uh, it was a bar uh, and they, it was seafood heavy. So you got things like seafood marinara and stuffed clams or the combination plate, which was a deviled crab, stuffed clam, crab claws, and seafood marinaras. It was everything that they had hot. Cold appetizer. So this blew me away a little bit. Not that ceviche doesn't go back decades and decades in in mexico and other places where it's prepared finding it on a menu in in central florida in 1980 was a little mind-blowing for me yeah but i'll agree with that but captain jacks offered ceviche which it said was a filet of grouper marinated in a spicy mixture of chopped onions green peppers tomatoes and lime juice served chilled I was really surprised. The other cold appetizers there were a smoked kingfish or a pickled herring. Hmm. So if Rose Nyland went there, yeah, she'd be all set to get her pickled herring served with sour cream. And then, of course, the raw bar had crab claws, shrimp cocktail, oysters, and clams. And there was a first mate's platter, which mixed all of the cold uh, fish with those uh, two cold, uh, with smoked kingfish and guacamole dip. So that was Captain Jack's back in the day. But if you didn't want Captain Jack's, maybe you were just wandering around. Maybe you just wanted a light bite. Where would, where would you, you go, you go down that? there? Yeah. Where would you, where would you go? <laughs> well, it was called Light Bite. It had the coolest sign and logo. Uh, we've got that, that on the great, site too there's some great pictures. yeah there's there's some great pictures of it uh, light bite was L-I-T-E B-I-T-E that's because uh, it had to be light you didn't want to use too many words absolutely. too many letters <laughs> so this is where our friend BJ Major worked and she sent us a couple of times the menu from 1977 or so this book has the menu from 1980 and it's like a typical snack sandwich stand. It's hamburgers, cheeseburgers, you know, hot dogs. Uh, the the 1980 menu has a meatball sub, an Italian hoagie, uh, chili, French fries, soft drinks, fruit punch, of course. You have to have fruit punch, a chocolate shake. 
So BJ sent us the menu from 1977. And of course, today, because I'm demented, I went through and decided to compare the two and say, well, what did they change on the menu over three years? Uh, they took off the menu, uh, the frozen banana and fruit tart that were there in 1977 and just have the chocolate shake. And they also took off a tuna sandwich, a grilled cheese, and Todd's favorite that we talked about the other day, the fried barbecued chicken breast yeah. sandwich. Which <laughs> just by reading it at the first time, it's a fried barbecue, but yeah, it's a fried chicken breast with uh, barbecue sauce on it. It's just on he was trying meat. to he was trying to reconcile what are they like barbecue the meat and then fry it or yeah. what? What is it? What is it? But the funny thing is, as I said, they took away the grilled cheese and the tuna sandwich and they put a meatball sub on. So, you know, for those of you who aren't eating meat, you're, you're out of luck because everything else else on the 1980 menu is uh, is a full meat thing. So while Martin Crane mm. and his son Frazier might be happy, uh, the vegetarians in the group will not. I was going to say this. This is located where the Ghirardelli is literally the same building as the Ghirardelli uh, chocolate ice cream place. Yeah. Now, yeah. So you decide you're not going to the light bite and you don't want to fancy it up with the, with the village uh, cafe. So now you're at veranda restaurant. And uh, what would you say? The veranda restaurant was like the casual dining down there. How is that how you couch it? It was more of a, it, it was literally on the very tail end of everything. <laughs> like you, you'd, you'd walk through the village past the pottery chalet You'd be headed out as if you were walking over to the uh, to the Empress Lily, and it's it's kind of where the um, <laughs> where the uh, Lego store is now. Okay. In fact, I think it's the I think it is the building that that it was the Lego store. So on one side of it was an ice cream parlor, on the the other side was the the veranda restaurant. So yeah, it was casual. You just come in and sit down. You but know, Birnbaum does note it had linen napkins, but then oh, he well. says it had the usual range of eggs and patty melts, chicken and ham, and simple fare well, for lunch but they did turn it up a notch for dinner it it, like. that, that is it that is true it, it, it's almost like two different restaurants yeah uh, very much a difference between the lunch and dinner which most of these other places in here that's not the case diner during uh, the day fancy restaurant well day? yeah so but but it's a nice diner because during the day uh, like you had a fruit yogurt fondue which was seasonal fruit with the chilled yogurt dip uh they had chilled strawberry soup there which was like a weird thing for someone to have in 1980. Uh, more common today, but a cold soup there certainly plays in. This was the place where the Buena Vista Monte Cristo was offered. Mm. So you could get the Monte Cristo sandwich there at the veranda restaurant. Uh, stacked ham and turkey. Barbecue beef on a seated roll with steakhouse fries. And uh, for our friend there who loved the tortellini and meat sauce, they had a spaghetti and meat sauce here. So if you were out of luck there, you could get that. A turkey and broccoli crepe. Uh, so I was just listening to the Progress City podcast, and, and Michael Crawford was joking about how hard Disney went in on the whole crepe thing in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, th that's the whole industry did that. Uh, that was when the Magic Pan restaurants uh, flourished around the country, which was a crepe-based restaurant. Uh, but yeah, crepes were like a big thing. They were a fancy French thing that uh, kind of came into restaurants in the 70s, became more commonplace. And it became a really easy thing to do because you can make crepes ahead of time. If you're a chef, you can make 100 crepes ahead of time and fill them with whatever you want for dessert or for for a savory meal. So 
Disney in a lot of these finer restaurants and a lot of the better restaurants, you see crepes for dessert. You see crepes at dinner. You see crepes with chicken, with seafood, uh, all fancied up and obviously flambéed tableside and in dishes like crepe Suzette and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's an interesting little note of the era, but the veranda restaurant was also, uh, it had a, an extensive ice cream sundae menu for dessert. And, you know, I guess in keeping with the nice, casual, family, casual type of dining establishment, uh, you know, with names like the Lamplighter and the Sunday Best and the Gold Digger Sunday, which was butter pecan ice cream, hot caramel, toasted almonds and whipped topping. Now, the one I highlighted here was the Fudgeana, F-U-D-G-A-N-A. Is which that like is Pollyanna's hot... sister? Well, the funny thing is growing up. I, anytime I ordered a hot fudge sundae with banana, it was called a tulip. And the reason they called it a tulip was it's the normal sundae glass, the upright sundae glass, the two scoop sundae mm-hmm. glass, but they would slice the banana in four and have it sticking up. So it looked like a tulip. Ah, okay. you know, ostensibly it looked like a tulip. Uh, so I, you know, any menu I've ever seen it on around here, it's the tulip, but there it's the fudgeana. The fudgeana. Huh. Okay. So, you know, there's Brangelina and there's other, <laughs> they put fudge and banana together. So that is the veranda restaurant at nighttime. Todd is correct. Uh, much nicer. Uh, the dinner time, they even kicked up the Sundays a bit. You get things like strawberry Royale, which was strawberry ice cream, a sliced banana, strawberry topping, toasted coconut and whipped topping. Whipped whipped topping uh but yeah that, that nighttime you got things like shrimp cocktail full dinners you know beef wellington the florida seafood platter for two a tasty selection of sauteed red snapper fried scallops and oysters shrimp scampi and a seafood crepe there it is because <laughs> there's always room for crepes but you made you made a couple hundred of them in central foods let's sell them everywhere uh, i'm I- I'm trying to remember now if the the reason this this was called the veranda is because it was uh, it had screens around. I believe it had screens yeah. around it rather than windows, yeah. so it was open air. Well, that must have been comfortable in the Florida summer. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> so I wondered. I wonder if they did air curtains, you know, some of the time, which they did everywhere back then. So they could kind of keep it air conditioned, but I mean, get a little bit exposed. I don't know. I don't know that I'd want to order spaghetti and meatballs or veal parmesan in an unair conditioned restaurant (laughs) in Central Florida about nine months a year. That that doesn't sound too fun. That was that was a thing that was in a lot of restaurants down here for whatever reason. Many of the attractions that you would visit would have these kind of like screened in. Sort of like outdoor verandas that you would well, eat at your dinner at nighttime. You could also get some nicer desserts: old-fashioned cheesecake with fruit topping, hot apple cobbler with vanilla sauce, which sounds delightful, or strawberry cream layer cake, which also sounds delightful. A lot of strawberries in the stuff there. Well, yeah, if, I mean, you are a... you, you are only like thirty miles from Plant City, and yeah, all the strawberry growing areas of mm-hmm. Florida, so. Uh, it, it makes some kind of sense, but you know, Todd, say you were there and like, none of this appeals to you. Like you're sitting there saying I could really just go for like a giant hot pastrami or yeah. corned beef special. I want to, I want to choose bread too. I want, I want like five choices of bread and, uh, you know, and, and four different kinds of rolls to choose from. So- what if I were to tell you, I could give you nine choices of bread. <sighs> Where'd I go? 
Where do I go? Well, you would go to Heidelberger's Deli, which also had a fantastic sign and like a crest on it. All those signs were, they were all great. Yeah, it was so well done. So Heidelberger's Deli was another of the establishments in Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village. Uh, Every sandwich, there was a sandwich menu. It included your choice of salad and bread with a pickle spear. And if you wanted cheese, you had to add a quarter. So when they say salad, you think like lettuce and vegetables, right? Most of the time, yeah. Yeah, well, that's not what they mean. Your salad choices, uh, we'll get to the sandwiches. Oh, don't you worry, folks. We'll get to the sandwiches. (laughs) But the salad choices are potato, cottage cheese, cucumber. I love a good cucumber salad. Coleslaw, baked beans. I don't know how that's a salad. Sauerkraut or applesauce. So those were those were your choices of your of your side salad. Uh, and you had the standards, turkey, ham, corned beef, pastrami, hot pastrami, roast beef, hot corned beef, bologna, tuna, salami, or liverwursts. And your other options were to get a bagel and cream cheese or lox and cream cheese. And so those were your sandwich options there. But you had nine choices of bread. You want to throw one out at me and I'll tell you if it was offered here? Uh, there's got to be a, a pumpernickel or a pumpernickel rye. Would you like the pumpernickel roll or the pumpernickel bread? Because you could get either at Heidelberg's. Oh, I might get the roll. The rolls are fun. There was white. There was whole wheat. Whole wheat. There was rye. The pumpernickel and pumpernickel roll. There was an onion roll. Oh. A Kaiser roll. A rye roll. I never even heard of a rye roll. Or a sub roll, which is a hoagie roll. <laughs> you know, I I'd have to go with the onion roll. Um, I, well, it depends on what I'm getting. If I'm yeah. getting like a corned beef special, I want it on rye. But right, right. Turkey or pumpernickel. Go, go, with the, go with the onion roll. Yeah, I can tell you. I used to get. I think the first time I went there, I had a bologna. Yeah, probably on white. Right. Did it have but a as first I got name? more. Yeah, O S C A R. And as I got more adventurous mm-hmm. i started to order like a liverwurst on pumpernickel nice oh. yeah so liverwurst is one of those foods that people either love or hate and and we my mother would buy it when we were growing up because my brother andrew ate it i don't remember maybe my dad ate it i don't think anybody else ate it in the house so she would buy it and he would eat it i remember tasting it a few times and it was never my thing I've never had it offered to me as an adult. So, like, if I was somewhere where it was, I would probably taste it and still not like it. <laughs> but I'm I'm proud to know a liverwurst eater here, Hal. Yeah, and for sure, I got I had the applesauce on the side because I was not eating like the hot potato salad. <laughs> um, but to explain the context of this, do you you may recall a lot of people in their local malls there were um, similar sandwich shops called like Mister Dunderbox. And no, no, maybe, not, that's not, weird. Not that I remember, but yeah, because there, there, maybe that's weird. So maybe this was a strange Florida trend because uh, uh, in the malls in the Orlando area, there were these other German restaurants. We, we, there is one German restaurant in the Lehigh Valley Mall that I've been to, but it's like a single family-owned type place, uh-huh. as far as I know. Yeah, uh, this was like a chain. It's funny because we had Bain's Deli. In our malls, like there was B-A-I-N apostrophe S uh, in the mall food courts around here. There was Bain's, which was a, 
you know, you walked up and it was a bain marie with uh with with you know cold lunch meats and all these various spreads and toppings and stuff. And so you, you know, sometimes I go up and get a turkey sandwich or something like that. Uh but you know, I don't know, I don't remember a chain uh like that around here. Huh, interesting. Oh, wait. There's a page two. Oh boy. And 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 there's some additions to this Heidelberger's menu. The hot stuff. So you could get Heidelberger special with salami, provolone cheese, ham, and submix. I don't know what submix is. On a roll served with baked beans and pickle spear. Maybe submix is like lettuce, tomato, onion, could be oil, vinegar. You know, could like be. Mike's like like Mike's way at Jersey Mike. Yeah, it's all thirty hertz. Yeah, <laughs> you could get a hot knockwurst with some baked beans <laughs> and sauerkraut, or the Red Baron, the American cheese roast beef Swiss cheese sweet onion on pumpernickel roll with potato salad and pickerspieler, or the Zeppelin, I- which was turkey, ham, and Swiss. With Thousand Island dressing, coleslaw, and pickle spear. That's what I would get. I can tell you that my father ordered the Red Baron every time without fail. Oh, really? How about that? It's a little sweet onion on pumpernickel roll, potato salad. That's that's Mr. Bowers. Paging Mr. Bowers. Uh, dessert there. You get some marble cheesecake. Cheese. Just cheese. Cake or pie, Hal. Mm-hmm. And we're coming up on the bakery, so I, I get to talk to you about the pies. But yeah, uh, there are the beverages. They had both Coke and Pepsi, or you could get grape drink, <laughs> whatever grape. And they also had Michelob and Heineken on draft, and bottled and imported beers and wine by the glass. So Heidelberger sounds like a nice medium if you didn't want the sit down meal, but you wanted something a little better than a yeah. hot dog from the light bite. And ironically, that space is now the Earl of Sandwich. Uh, so, so they really didn't so change it. Stuck with the deli theme. Yeah. So how it didn't live as Heidelbergers until they put Earl of Sandwich in there in the in the nineties, did it? Yeah. Oh, it was Heidelbergers all the way till then. It was Heidelbergers all the way until they put an Earl of Sandwich. Wow, absolutely. Now, now I wish I'd gone. Um, wait, unless they they didn't stick a Wolfgang puck in there. In between, by any chance, did they? Well, I don't know. Um, I mean, he had a whole so many locations there, like little pizza takeout windows and stuff like that. But yeah, there might have been. You know what? I want to say there could have been a Wolfgang puck. Uh, in in between those two things, yeah, I I think that's correct. As I go back into the memory banks. Uh, but yeah, so I think it was Heidelberger's and then Wolfgang Puck's and then uh, Earl's Sandwich. So outside of there, there were also the, 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 like the snack places, the places you would, you would get in passing. There was an ice cream fountain, the village pavilion ice cream fountain. They sold ice cream cones, single or double dip, 65 cents for a single, $1.25 for a double. Vanilla mint chocolate chip, chocolate strawberry, butter pecan, and butter fudge swirl. Mm. And it was Borden's at this time. Borden's ice cream. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that mint chocolate chip was so good. And not so far away was the Village Pavilion Bakery Workshop. And Hal Bowers has told us about this bakery before. Yeah, world famous in our family, for sure. Well, what did you guys used to get there all the time, Hal? We would get get the apple pie because we loved apple pie. But I want to say occasionally my mom would get cherry pie, too. Well, she, she had was big, she was a big Warren fan. She had four choices. 
Okay. Apple. I got that reference, by the way. Blueberry, <laughs> cherry, or peach were the pie offerings. Uh, but we've got cookies, sugar, oatmeal, peanut butter, and chocolate chip. You could get the cookies undecorated or decorated. They were 20 Ooh. cents more to get them decorated. So, okay. So I want to say the decorations. Wow, this just made me flashback. <laughs> they would take they would take like chocolate frosting in uh, the like piping bags. Mm-hmm. And then I think, I can't remember if you get like Mickey faces, but there were like, I remember distinctly that you would could get the frosting like on top of the chocolate chip cookie with like different designs on them. It might have been Mickey faces. Well, I would have paid the extra 20 cents for that. Sure. For for sure. Uh, Danish. There were Danish options. They had super coffee cake. Now, it says right here, super ahead of it. I don't know if it came with a cape or what, <laughs> but it was with or without fruit. There was a sweet roll, puff pastries. There was turnovers and strudel. Uh, Bavarian and French cheese squares, brownies, cream horns, cupcakes, dessert cake squares, and Napoleons, and I love a good Napoleon. And of course, all the coffee, orange juice, iced tea, hot tea, and milk. Uh, and then there was a whole cake menu, so you could like buy a full sheet cake there. Uh, fruited buttercream, whipped cream streusel, fruit French cream cheese with fruit. These are all types of cakes they're offering. Log squares, three-layer buttercream cakes for seven ninety-five. A full sheet cake was twelve fifty. But if you wanted a full sheet cake with characters, it was fifteen. So it was three dollars mm-hmm. more. Three bucks for here, yeah. So they could decorate can, it probably the same way they decorated the the um, the cookies. The cookies. I, I can tell you that we definitely got the coffee cake from there as well. Now that you said that, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's, they it's, were all, big coming, it's all coming back. That I'll tell you, and the <laughs> lines used to be out the door. I, I believe for this it. Bakery. I believe it. This was hot stuff. So. Say you're down there in 1975, 1976. You've been to all these restaurants. Like, oh, these really aren't to my liking. You know what I really like? I wish they would build a fake ship here and just put a bunch of restaurants in it. 1977, Disney says, hey, that's a great idea. Let's build a fake ship. We'll make it look like a riverboat. And we'll put a bunch of restaurants on there. So they built and dedicated the Empress Lily uh, as their fine dining location for sure but they put like four other places in there a couple of bars a couple of other restaurants there's like it's almost like three phases like the casual and then there's the a little bit like casual plus like a little nicer and then there's the fine dining and two bars that were separate locations we'll start off there was the steerman's quarters First off, let me ask. Uh, so I ate at well, I ate at the Empress Lily in 1988, and again sometime in the latter half of the 90s. Uh, I don't remember. I mean, I know in '88 we ate in whatever the nicest place was there. I mean, we had to get dressed up that night. My parents packed nice clothes for us to wear, like long pants and like a collared shirt, and my dad had a sport jacket on. Stuff like that. Pictures of it. Out, pictures of us outside. So. Uh, Todd, I know you had breakfast there, the character breakfast. Correct. Yep. Uh, did you ever eat, like dinner or anything there? No, no. I think we did. I want to say we did the character breakfast there 
twice once when i was young and then again with my sister yeah so it was de- it was only a breakfast that was the only time we headed over there i How? still have my sticker though that i wore with my name you know hello my name is the big yeah big you should thing. wear that around disney world the next i will time i'll put there. that on there i'll get that i'll get that out no we never i know you're i'm anticipating your question brian is like no that place was too fancy for us i got it i actually i actually remember going there I think the first time we went there was actually like the week it opened up. And so they had this grand opening stuff. And like, I actually, you know, you, you had to cross, I'm sure it's probably still the same way. You had to cross a gangplank in order to get on it. Yes. And we actually like questioned whether it was okay for us just to, to walk over and like go onto it because it seemed so fancy. So they like some people would you, during the daytime, you could kind of like wander around on it and see what it was like. So we walked around it. But like we never ate there. That was way too high end for us. So the world guide that was put out uh, around this time, 1978, uh, said that the Steerman's Quarters was a casual restaurant, you know, in, in the village uh, on Empress Lily. Also, the Fisherman's Deck, which is also on the Empress Lily, both listed as casual. And then you got uh, the Empress Room there, which was, you know, fine dining and, gen- you know, coats and ties for gentlemen. Reservations necessary, only serve dinner. Uh, that's the one that has the gold menu out there that's on eBay all the time for like $1,000. Somebody's like trying to sell the Empress menu. I mean, I would pay that if it got me dinner in 1979 <laughs> like, in the Empress room, like like there was a time machine. Right, right. But I'm not buying it for the restaurant. But Steerman's Quarters, uh, the menu, very, you know, avocado club sandwich, a Reuben sandwich. Uh, I like the salad medley. Sockeye salmon, turkey salad, cottage cheese, and seasonal fruit. Uh, it, was, but, it was mainly meat too, right on the it, on the main menu. Well, there's a seafood like there's there's seafood options there, and they they have a raw bar, and uh, there are seafood options. But it's it was a pretty standard restaurant. You could get chicken pot pie or uh, New York sirloin steak, steak and steak and eggs. Uh, and of course, there's a whole section here on Empress specialty crepes there because you can again. never you can never have too many crepes. There, you could get chicken crepes, seafood crepes, or beef tenderloin crepes. Um, a lot, and and the, the, I'm really seeing our retro magic menu come together: daiquiris with crepes, with crepes, and crepes, uh, buckets and of coleslaw, and giant name tags. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just. Uh, not, not, I'm, I'm looking at the, the dinner. The dinner menu looks like it was mo- escargot. No, oh. in mushroom caps for dinner, chicken liver. But now, if you've ever had escargot, they taste like mushrooms. So why would you put escargot in mushrooms when they already taste like mushrooms? Then you can put less escargot in and more mushrooms, I, and nobody. You know, you're right. probably not wrong. It's cost savings. Uh, but yeah, that's the uh, that's the, the dinner menu has things like wild boar, and wow. uh, yeah, steak and enchiladas. That sounds like a great combo. Uh, steak empress, which was just a sirloin steak with chateau potatoes and asparagus tips. Really uh, interesting, like. It's funny because it listed as casual, but it feels like it's like casual plus. This um, says, um, my burn bombs, no reservations. You have to give your name and you wait in the starboard lounge. Well, what's it say about the fisherman's deck? <sighs> Let's see. 
There's no comment from what I can see in the fisherman's yeah, deck. Well, the fisherman's deck is also listed oh, as... no reservations are accepted. Oh, yeah, no reservations. Yeah. you got to walk in. Give right. your name to the hostess and wait in the promenade lounge on the starboard deck. They're even deck. separating the classes. Oh, oh, you're yeah. going to the steersman's quarter. You're going to the starboard <laughs> lounge. Yeah. Or or by the always lively Baton Rouge lounge. Oh, always oh, lively. Oh, we'll get to the lounges. We'll get to the lounges. Trust me. Uh, so let me run through the fisherman's deck. Uh, it, it, the menu reflects that it's the name it's it's probably a little more casual than steerman's quarters uh but they do have some specialty sandwiches like the king neptune the shrimp salad with avocado tomato and bacon on rye with peanut slaw i don't know what peanut slaw is sounds sounds like something like a thai dish yeah and they serve that also with the paddle wheel sandwich which is a Grilled cheese, tomato, and bacon with uh, crab meat, which was probably like a crab cake sandwich. Uh, so that's 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 really something. I'm you know looking here at this fisherman's deck, but then platters, you know, grouper and uh, the Hangtown omelet, a pancake omelet with fried oysters, crisp bacon, green peppers, and diced potatoes. Is this for a hangover? It says Hangtown, but <laughs> like that seems like something someone would eat with a hangover. That's right. Yeah. I don't know, but I do know that after you ate all that, how you could get cherry cream pie. Huh. Cream. Yeah, Dutch apple cream cake. Oh. Put some cream in it. Okay. Yeah, just add or, or stewed berries on vanilla ice cream. And if you're there at dinner time, it's much of the same. They just have like some fancier appetizers. Uh, and you could get a broiled duckling or the Empress delight for two broiled Maine lobster, oysters, brochette, broquette, brochette. I never say that right. Sauteed pompano and dolphin potatoes. And as JT mentioned, there was the, there were two lounges. The one was the starboard lounge. Which side of the boat was that on? Oh no. How, how am I going to know that? It, you know, <laughs> left. It's on the starboard it's on, side. It's on the starboard <laughs> side. I know what <laughs> Hard to port. Uh, <laughs> the, the starboard lounge had some fancy appetizers. That was it. You could get the escargot or chicken liver pate or creamed scallops, oysters or cherry stone clams or shrimp cocktail. And then they had their specialty coffees there. Buena Vista coffee, Spanish coffee, starboard coffee, pink lily, or mint mocha cream. And I, the, all the recipes are here for these, Hal. Please tell me there's oh. port is also available. Port? Yeah. Is there a port I, on there? I, I have not gotten star, to that yet. The, okay. Uh, um, that would be on the other side. Oh, it's yeah, the, I got to go to the other lounge for that. Yeah, 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 the boat. It's the other lounge. Damn. Now, I will tell you the Baton Rouge lounge, uh, and I think each one was attached to one restaurant. Like one was attached to starboard right. and the other was attached to the, uh, to, or t- to the steerman's and the other was attached to the fisherman's deck. Uh, the Baton Rouge lounge, uh, the river fro- riverboat refreshments were by the pitcher there. This is like contemporary. Yeah. So for 1275, you could get planners punch or a new Orleans fizz margarita, a pitcher What's of margaritas? Mississippi, Mississippi river water. You can get some Mississippi River water. Uh, the you Mark don't want to know. The Mark Twain <laughs> was a frozen blend of Galliano, creme de banana, triple sec, and fruit juices. Do they I mention? have the recipe for that. Yeah. 
Scarlet O'Hara's. And uh, the only thing they had to eat there was some bayou chips. Uh, homemade so, potato chips prepared in the traditional southern manner. So this was the party location. Okay. This this was at the back of the boat. It had a stage. This this is where the uh, Dixieland like entertainment would go on. And I'm All trying right. to I'm trying to find the name of there was like one guy who was like super famous. This Denny's is where you went to vet. get lit. Yes. And say it to, say it, JT. Denny Zavet, comedian banjoist. Whoa. Yes. Who appears wow. uh, with the riverboat Rascals? Huge. That was like the best entertainment, like at Walt Disney World at that time. That was the known thing to go to if you wanted like fun nighttime entertainment. Man, it sounds like a blast. Opens yeah. at eleven a.m. to get the party started. <laughs> Hell Just yeah! Bring me a picture of each every other hour. Yeah. I I find it funny. These chips must have been so good. They say they're so delicious. They make it easy to abandon dinner plans altogether. Oh. <laughs> Between that and the cocktails, yeah. So we have to find out. Like I have this Empress Lily mug, like a tiki mug, basically from the Empress Lily from the mid '80s. We have to find one of these one of these things to find out which cocktail got served in the Silly mug. I'm betting it's the Mark Twain. That would, that would make sense. That's kind of like their signature. Well, that's cool. Yeah. It was only two fifty. Uh, we have the, uh, the plastic ones that were at the breakfast. They look like, uh, you know, little, the little sippy cup type mugs. things. Yeah. With the oh, straw, nice. they're open top They're uh, oh, okay. they have Mickey on them in the sailor's hat or, you know, whatever. He's got the thing. I got some Empress Lily stuff, a spoon. Lots of merchandise, it seemed like, was right. it there. That's excellent. Now, what's interesting at Birnbaum here, uh, Brian, is that, you know, you mentioned Steerman's Quarters and Fisherman Deck. This is the 86 version. It separates it out. When you get to 90, they were actually combined, and Birnbaum says it was the same menu. So the two became the same restaurant, or separate restaurants, but had the same menu. And you and I kind of talked, thinking, you know, they, they shared the same kitchen. Well, Why is there I difference? think everything everything on the ship, yeah, it was probably the which same. is not really the ship shared the central kitchen, which because they're all built around it, right? Um, it's just interesting that they didn't. You know, we have different restaurants, but the menu is essentially the same thing. Well, and I assume as as the restaurant choices expanded in the area, mm. you know, Pleasure Island was built, and other things happened. It's like they probably didn't need to have those distinct, you know, separate restaurants in there. Um, and for for those of you who want to know where this is, this eventually became Fulton's Crab House, yep. and then today is Paddlefish. Yep. Although it doesn't look much, it's like a very abstract modern idea of a boat now. It yeah, look well, I mean they they gutted it uh, down to the studs and built this new one when they when they refurbed it. So I had dinner there on this last trip that I was at. Uh, there were some very good things and some not so good things during the dinner. So, I mean, it was, it was, if I had to give a recommendation, it was Mets and Mets. Um, and then the fine dining location I want to talk about was, was the Empress room. And that is where pinkies were out and gentlemen were wearing jackets and ties and you were offered soups like clarified beef broth with sherry. Or a spinach and oyster soup with curried cream. This was the fancy spot. Uh, of course, your hot hors d'oeuvres included a crepe with, with <laughs> shrimp and again. crab meat and creamed hollandaise or snails in pastry with burgundy sauce. Seafood mousse, which is how I always want my mousse. 
on artichoke bottoms, red and white burgundy sauces. So you get the idea. This was, uh, oh, wait, there was also a crepe filled with Gruyere and cheddar cheese as an appetizer. So mm. they, they, there were two crepe options there. And I don't know if there's crepes at dinner. Let me see. Uh, dinner was, you know, you'd expect fine, uh, fine beef and duck, medallions of wild boar with lingonberry game sauce. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Crab meat sauteed in brandy and butter. Really a lot of very nice, uh, options here. You're, I, okay. yeah. I want to get out the inflation calculator to see what these prices are. Yeah. Well, today the, because the the most expensive item on the menu is not beef. Actually, it is the Frenched lamb chops, <laughs> sautéed with tomatoes, and that was twenty two fifty in nineteen eighty. Now, if I remember correctly, that is either three. The multiplier now from nineteen eighty is either times three or times five, roughly somewhere between there. So, at a minimum, you're looking at sixty eight dollars for those. Wow. Wow. French lamb chops. I, I obviously you said twenty two fifty. Twenty two fifty in nineteen eighty. Seventy two dollars. There you are. Yeah, look at that. Right so I had my multiplier right in the head. So what's interesting? Uh, re- reading Birnbaum here, he he kind of disses the restaurant in the end of his paragraph here in eighty six. He says the quality of the food preparation can be erratic, but this is amongst the most elegant dining places in the world. Um, uh, a twenty percent service charge is added each check for service. It does say that here. Yeah, and no. Not all the fresh, all the, not, excuse me, not all the fish here is fresh. If this matters to you, be sure to get a status report before ordering. Like, that's, that's pretty strong. Scully's catch of the day. You're getting (laughs) Aunt Fanny's frozen fish fingers. I just thought that it was really interesting that, you know, wow. You know, Uh, I, I was wrong, by the way, JT. The main lobster blended with wine mustard is the most expensive. That's twenty seven fifty. Oh, that's gonna pull us up to in the so low eighties. That's a, that's in the eighties. That's yeah. in the eighties. Yeah, twenty seven fifty, nineteen eighty. That's eighty eight dollars. Eighty eight dollars for the lobster. Wow. So you're you're you know, I mean the cheapest thing on this menu is the whole young chicken with cider cream for ten twenty five. Wow. So if you're taking a date and she doesn't want to order something expensive, what's that running you, JT, in 1980? What's the price again? Ten twenty-five. Probably about thirty-five bucks, as I'm guessing. Thirty-two eighty. There you go. There you go. There you go. That's your big boy. And now you know why we're terrified to step on board. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to step into the wrong restaurant. Yeah, this is not Bowers family friendly. You, you, you drink a pitcher of Planters Punch at, at, the, at the back of the ship. Next thing you know, you're paying a hundred dollars for a lobster. Uh, for dessert, there was a bell of chocolates. I'm assuming made like a ship's bell and probably oh, yeah. probably filled with fruits or something like that. Pistachio almond cake, fresh seasonal fruit and cream and pastry, minted chocolate or amaretto for two. And of course, come on, tell me what else is for dessert. Got to be a chocolate crepe. There is a crepe. It is filled with fine nuts and honey, fine flamed nuts. with Grand Marnier tableside. Wow! Ooh. Uh, there is a whole page here of their specialty drinks, but taking a quick look at it, nothing here appears to actually be that special. These are all things that help: the Golden Sunset, the Sherry Flip, the Brandy Alexander, the New Orleans Fizz. Yeah, the, the Zazerac. The Port Flip. Classic. Yeah, the Zazerac is there. The Ward 8, 
one of the most popular drinks of the 1930s. This fruity blend of whiskey, grenadine, and lemon juice offers light but hearty enjoyment. Hmm. Oh, and Todd, here's your port. They have a port. There is a port. Excellent. Okay, good. Port wine and a whole fresh egg combined to produce a full mellow flavor. So, Todd, just pour yourself a glass of port. I got crack some. an egg in there like Rocky style. <laughs> whip that up, yeah. and uh, and then put a twenty percent gratuity on the bill. Perfect. Come on over, uh, I'll serve you. The menu you ate there in nineteen eighty for the children's breakfast is here, Todd. The Empress Lily character breakfast. Oh yeah, bacon. I got to tell you that. what, for five dollars, which we now know would be about sixteen or seventeen dollars for an adult, or four dollars for a kid, which includes a gift. What was the gift? The cup? It could have been my cup. Hmm. All right. So for well, a maybe the, last too. Maybe, the, maybe the pennant was the gift. Yeah, that's right. You got the pennant. You got that mm-hmm. character breakfast pennant. Yep. Uh, for kids, it was four bucks. You're figuring twelve, thirteen dollars there. Scrambled eggs, cereal, orange juice, hash browns, bacon, Danish milk, or coffee. Banquet style, all you can eat. So banquet style, I guess that was like family style. Like they brought it to the table, like a like a large serving plate. Or did they bring out everybody got a plate with those things? And then if you wanted more of anything, you just asked. But that, my friends, is the Lake Buena Vista shopping village. And the last stop we have down there and our last stop of the night is the Lake Buena Vista Club. Hal, give us the one minute rundown on what the Lake Buena Vista Club was. Sure. So part of the idea originally of, of Lake Buena Vista was besides the shopping village, there was also going to be... Uh, some houses that were built, duplexes and triplexes and single-family houses that would get rented out to corporate uh, clients who might want to come in and, and, you know, run out some villas and whatnot for their, uh, I guess, for their executives to come and stay for a while. Um, They tried to sell this for two years, maybe, or three years. Didn't get any takers, really. And so they decided to turn these uh, the villas into, you know, hotel rooms that you could purchase uh, for, you know, families that were coming. So that was nice. It was, you know, nice, nice big spaces. A very uh, non-standard, like, play, yes. way to vacation. So that was kind of the neat thing about them and the tree houses that Todd stayed in in, in 1980. I mean, just a neat kind of different way to experience being on vacation down there. Yes, and and uh, part of this property uh, was and still is on a golf course. So uh, the you find some like golf themed uh, things here because uh, this restaurant would overlook. I don't know if it was the eighteenth hole or just one of the holes, but it overlooked uh, the golf course. So the funny thing is, uh, Todd and I were talking earlier today, and he was looking, I think, at the burn bombs guide, and he saw the listing for this and he's like, oh, they have a specialty dish there that he recommends. And uh, the, the guide he was looking at was, was it from the 90s, Todd? So, yeah, it was, anybody guess? It's uh, blueberry crepes with vanilla sauce was, was highly recommended. So, um, Todd, yep. this menu from August 20th, 1979 has blueberry crepe with vanilla sauce. So that lasted... Uh, at least fifteen years there. It was a dollar well, fifty. Yeah, that's eight. That's eighty six. Hold on. I I think All we right. need we need to check the ninety edition of Burn Bomb, <laughs> and uh, you know, we we can get some further ones uh, to see when when this finally uh, left. Um, you know, I you know really when you when you go through this, you realize how much runway room um, they gave. You know, they they gave Burn Bomb with a lot of this stuff. Yeah. 
Um, okay, we're at Pompano Grill at this point. And you know what? He does not have it in the marketplace. He probably put it under the resorts at that point. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Contemporary. That's interesting. Was it closed by 90? It might have been, right? It, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't I'm trying to remember when it became the Disney Institute. Yeah, I'm only seeing the Village Clubhouse snack bar. Oh, no, it was... No, this it was the Pompano Grill at that point. That's what had okay. changed. This former country club dining room is now a family-oriented restaurant complete with a new menu and new decor. So prime ribs, chicken, New York strip steaks, um, six-ounce prime rib, and a new lighter cream-colored decor complements the natural wood tones. Ceiling fans and fern-filled planters add to the southern feeling of the dining room. So... Um, one going back, Brian, I'm curious if it's on there, but the other big item from there was, which I would love this, the onion soup de hall, a thick, rich Parmesan and Swiss cheese topped broth for which the chef is locally famous. So a, I want to meet the chef if he's still around B, I want that. I want that recipe. I will make the onion soup. So the funny thing is on the lunch menu at Lake Buena Vista club is French onion soup au gratin. A rich onion soup served in a crock beneath a cheese-crowned crouton. $1.95. On the dinner menu is, as you requested, uh, the onion soup. Let me pull it up for you. Le soup a la onion de hal. Yeah. A rich onion soup served in a crock beneath a cheese-covered crouton. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. But they give it a French name at nighttime. It it's the same expensive. $1.95. No, yeah. it's $1.95. It's the same thing. Oh, man. <laughs> so... I guess it just depended if you were going to lunch or dinner. Uh, But this is, you know, it is. It's a country club restaurant. Uh, There's sandwiches. There's platters. At dinner time, there's there's more extensive platters. Uh, In fact, the dinner is large sections of beef and veal and uh, really fancy stuff. They used to do a lot of other types of things in here, too. So... There was a, um, I'm just looking to see if there's crepe. There are. Crepe Suzette was a dessert <laughs> at this place. Uh, the Lake Buena Vista Club also had a snack bar, which, you know, served the uh, the golf course. And I would assume the community there that had sub sandwiches and that. There was, the Lake Buena Vista Club also had the Moonlight for Two dinner and cruise. The Moonlight for Two, the two is spelled T-U-E. Because it was Tuesday nights. Oh. Oh, look at that. Tuesday nights, 6 to 9 p.m. You got the onion soup, a choice of entree, uh, a cheesecake, and Cafe Buena Vista, which is coffee. After dinner, there is a boat ride around the Lake Buena Vista Lagoon. $36 per couple, tax and tip included, reservations required. There was the Lake Buena Vista Club Night of Wine and Roses. They would have four different wines and then uh, an entree choice and then a cheesecake and Cafe Buena Vista. And that was $45. And that was on Monday nights. So if you want to get liquored up on Monday nights on a bunch of wines, you could do that without the cruise. Uh, and that is my conclusion of what I have for Lake Buena Vista. And no doubt, we will uncover more things that we want to talk about in Part three coming episode yeah, it's almost, 99. It's we did four, really, if you count the yeah, menu episode. That's, that's right. Four. So. Right. Uh, so, but I think we've we've had to first have made you hungry by now. Yeah. And second, tuckered you out with all this. 
I want to go eat, Chitty and it's chat. it's nearly midnight, and I want to go yeah. eat now. So, but, do you uh, want a crepe? I can whip up a crepe for you. <laughs> I might get the crepe pan going. You know, I am a very excellent crepe maker. Oh, so. oh, well, Colin uh, made a crepe bar. Maybe pancakes tonight, so I might have to go grab one of those. But there you go. That that's a that's a substitute. Yeah, that's a fair substitute. Well, Brian, thank you for all the research and uh, everybody uh, for chiming in here as always. Another fun episode. Um, for those listening, we'll, we'll get this one going out here quick here because I know we're, we're approaching the two-hour mark and want to wrap up quickly. And um, I can... discovered, though, I'm going to say this as we yeah. sign off. Uh, I was on a road trip with some friends back in January, and they said, oh, we, we listened to the – you sound funny because we listened to the podcast at 1.5 speed. And it shocked me. Uh, and then they were like, oh, I listen to all of my podcasts like that. So yeah. I started doing that recently. And it is a much more efficient way to listen to a lot of these podcasts. So uh, don't be shocked. by. So if you're surprised that at the beginning of the show, we called JT a baritone. Because yeah. if you're playing us at a at a faster speed, <laughs> uh, you know they, they might sound a little more higher pitch, and yeah. I might sound like, like Michael Jackson. At yeah, this we're point. like a bunch of chipmunks here or something. Yeah. So, so uh, but if you're listening to us at 1.5 speed, thank you very much. <laughs> I have to say, Brian, after all this great food talk, I'm a little disappointed you didn't go over the employee cafeteria. I, I well, it's here, but it's also <laughs> it it's it's midnight. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, I so, mean. Folks, if you uh, want to see a contrast, yeah, you know what? We're gonna to go to bed. We'll just leave the recording on. Yeah, Brian, this is this is the homework part for everyone. You've heard all the wonderful food. Now go look and see next what was available. I mean, this book, which is we're releasing with this episode, not only has that like there's a whole page on the kosher dinners. Wow, that you can pre-order two weeks ahead of time if yeah. you're if you're if you're an observant uh, kosher uh, diner at the resorts and uh, the the. The resort cake prices if you wanted to order full sheet cakes or if you wanted to order sheet cakes from the magic kingdom like so you could go and just buy a sheet cake that says happy birthday how sail across to tom sawyer island and just sit there and eat cake all day like you could do that back that's, then that's awesome what a halcyon age we missed that's right and this is and this is great brian because now i know there's a complete list of all of the liquors that they had available yes so I, now i can see precisely which rums and tequilas and things they offered you know yeah, as, this as is a great resource I'm, I'm so i was so excited when we got this and we scanned it in and we talked about it like the day I scanned it in and we kind of shelved it. And so I'm glad this episode came up and we finally have an excuse to push it out. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening in to this month, episode 66, Retro Food Part 2. Um, we'll be back next month uh, with one of our other Part 2s that we need to do, uh, Pleasure Island. We also have Alien Encounter Part 2 to do as well. So we've got, coming up. we've got a lot of stuff coming up. We're scheduling them. And again, follow us on Twitter and Facebook and all your favorite social media. And keep keep your eye out for the next movie night in May, Attack of the 50-Foot Reels. And uh, we will be back next month. So, And as always, if you can, give us a shout-out on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcast is. Uh, app is give us a review there and uh, if you're interested in any of our great merchandise check us out at retrowdw.com forward slash support us and uh, if you're looking to donate to the Lake Buena, Vista His- Lake Buena Vista Historical Society you can go to lbvhs.org forward slash donate and all of your uh, contributions are fully tax deductible and you have until May 15th if we get this out in time right you got you got a little time you got a little time and feds moved that, moved that uh, federal date up this year 
All right. Well, with that, thank you very much. We'll be back next month. And with that, Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at retrowdw.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at retrowdw. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at wdwms, Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at goawaygreen, JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax-exempt 501c3 organization and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Oh,